set. Places, everybody. And action. Hi guys, you're listening to Black Girl Film Club, a podcast where two black women discuss movies. I'm Brittany. And I'm Ashley. And on this week's episode, we're discussing The Shape of Water from 2017, directed by Guillermo del Toro. So we're back with another one of our aquatic love stories. Mermaid. Um, for Mermaid, <laughs> you know, we touched on a modern mermaid romance in our previous episode on Splash, where we visited Manhattan with Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah as <laughs> Madison <laughs> and Alan. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're going to travel back into the past with a tale of love between loners <laughs> with the shape of water. Yes. Um, so this is Ashley's pick for our mermaid programming. So Ashley, do you kind of want to share with our listeners why you kind of chose this movie? I feel like we were going through a few mermaid-themed movies, and we just couldn't find, like, the right one, I guess. Um, I know we talked about the lore, and we talked about another movie that I cannot remember (laughs) off the top of my head. Um, we went through a few things. We were going through it. Mm-hmm. Like I think we all suggested like the original <laughs> Little Mermaid, the <or laughs> 1989 version of Little Mermaid, because we were like, what do we watch with this? And then I don't know. I feel like we, we were doing some deep digging. I can't remember which one of mm-hmm. us decided like, hey, I forgot about this movie <laughs> that just came out like in the last decade of <laughs> or so. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this one is an excellent companion piece. It shares a lot of the same things without being creepy in the way of the born sexy yesterday trope. Um, this is like, I wouldn't say it's an inverse, but it's a different kind of thing. You know, we're not looking at a mermaid in the situation. So it's a little bit different. Yeah, we're looking at a gill man. Yeah, I think he's built as the amphibian man, but I've heard the aquatic man, uh, the the um, creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> yeah, all of those things. Um, yeah, this is a little bit different. It's not as you know, like sirens in the sea and all this. It's like it's kind of a little sad in places <laughs> when you really dig down deep into it. Um, and I remember I saw this movie in the theater. Um, I think it was probably when they were playing movies that were nominated for Oscars. And I think I saw this like super last minute and I liked it a lot. I thought it was like, people were like, this is so weird. I don't get it. <laughs> this is gross, which I'm just kind of like, so what's the difference between the amphibian man and then the girl with the tail? She's people up top. She's people up top. Like she's. She's but still she's not, a person. Yeah, but she like I mean, she still has humanoid quality. Like she's still human. He's got some humanoid. He's got abs. He does. He's got yeah. ass. <laughs> he <laughs> abs and ass. <laughs> Gero said, "This is a sex symbol." Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So I thought it was interesting though. I thought I got the story like right away when I first watched it. I was like, oh, this is beautiful. <laughs> Loners finding each other in a world that doesn't accept them, which I think mm -hmm. is like, I mean, we've seen that type of movie before, but this is just, you know, he takes it to the extreme and you get it. If I mean, if you're open to it, some people are not really open to this because of the amphibian man not having a humanoid half, I guess. But yeah. um, there's also like a big part, which we will talk about. I was like, there's a big like clue in this that she's not really all the way <laughs> human either. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's overlooked a lot in this in the general like discussion of this movie that I'm just like, there's a big clue here that you are not. I can tell you haven't watched this movie. <laughs> or if you have watched this movie, I can tell you haven't watched it in a long time. This was my first official time watching this film. Um, I tried to watch it when it was first released on some memes that a little iffy back alley means some yes some, some not some sites not english means <laughs> yeah you know had to have my means to see it because i was really interested in watching it because the creature from the black lagoon is one of my favorite universal monster movies mm -hmm. um it was just a film the first time i saw it was through 12 nights of terror which is a local Horror Movie Marathon held at one of my absolute favorite movie theaters here in Cleveland where they host 12 hours of horror movies. So it starts at like 7 p.m. on a Saturday. It ends at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Oh and gosh. so they usually do like a secret screening. They do like old films. They do new films. They do a mishmash of everything. So one year they um, show Creature from the Black Goon. It was my first time watching it. And I was like, Oh my goodness, like it was a film that I just got immediately and loved. Um, it was like, okay, the Christian from the Black Goon is just chilling, minding his business. And all of a sudden, all these white people come and disrupt his peace. <laughs> and I was like, I get it. And it's also like a love story there. And it's not like a typical because it's like you're kind of projecting that a little bit because I don't think it was an intent for the woman to kind of have vibes with a monster gill man but you kind of <laughs> get it there and it's just a lot that you could put on there and I really liked it and that's kind of what I thought like Guillermo del Toro said in the film he said so himself yeah I have a few of his quotes he he's he is a universal monster stan like beyond like normal fandom like this is something that he has basically said that it's like saved his life pretty much like he is so into pretty much every single one but I think he really really liked the creature from the black lagoon I don't know if that's his favorite but he he seems to identify with it a lot and that mm -hmm. one and I think Frankenstein's monster too mm. before anybody comes in and says it's not Frankenstein it's his monster <laughs> <laughs> You know how people like to do. So yeah, he he loves it. Um, and I've seen that movie too. I saw it at Alamo Draft House. They showed it, I think I got it for free when they still had the victory program. RIP the victory program. They do not do that anymore. <laughs> but I got to see it for free. And I was like, oh, this is good as hell. <laughs> I am very into this. And the scene, of course, where he's like, she's swimming and I guess he what is he uh -huh. swimming backwards underneath her and stuff like uh -huh. that's so fucking cool but um 
Yeah, they did come to his home and just like fucking shit up. And they reference that too in this um in this movie, but it's like way worse. <laughs> it has to do mm-hmm. with, like oil drilling and stuff. And we're like, oh, y'all are dastardly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah, but you could like see Guillermo's like love and appreciation for the 1954 film all the way in The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what prompted me to really want to watch that then. And also what one wanted like me to like, okay, like this movie parent is really interesting to me because I really wanted to watch the entire movie before sources shut me down last time. Like I wanted to really watch the entire thing to kind of see what it was and, uh-huh. you know, get my uh, like a feel for it. And I, you know, up front, I'm going to say, I love this movie. It is, it's, it's weird. It's yeah. a weird love story that I really, really enjoyed. Um, And I want to talk, I'm going to like, when we wrap up at the end, I'm going to share a little bit more of my thoughts on it, but it's, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's a. I think it's probably like one of his nicest looking movies to me. Besides, like maybe like Crimson Peak or something. Yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe Pan's Labyrinth. I don't know. Like, I just feel like there's something in the in the set design and how it all looks. I think he said, "Hold on, I got a quote. I got a quote where he said that like logistically it was awful to shoot." (laughs) He said that, um, you know, they were running out of money. Even though he said like. They did come out under budget. I don't know. Like I couldn't really get the right hold on like what parts were the were the most expensive parts. Um, but he was like, it was a challenge. <laughs> it was a challenge. I know they put a lot of work into Doug Jones's makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd be taking him some places. Guillermo's like, just go on this journey with me. <laughs> yeah. And Doug just goes on the journey. <laughs> I would be freaking out having all that on me, but you know, he does it. He does it well. Um, and I know he's, I think Guillermo said that he wanted like you to be attracted to the amphibian man. Like he's not supposed to look like ugly. Like he's supposed to be a little hot, a little cunty. <laughs> <laughs> Serving cunt. <laughs> As the kids have gotten hold of that term. <laughs> oh Lord. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say like, the amphibian man to me he read more adorable yeah and that's just me he's cute he a little cutie when he like first pop up like uh, his, like, like his little ears things? pop up out of the tank yeah like, his go, eyes like, boop, boop, and his eyes open and it's like oh look at him and then he stand up and it's like oh this is, okay, this is a gigantic you. man <laughs> <laughs> let's is, see what you do again okay, he said let's you. give him pecs let's give him abs let's give him thigh and he was like okay I, I got you yeah I got you yeah I wish I had gone and done some more deep diving into like all the stuff that they like how long it took to put him in this because it must have been hours <laughs> I can't even imagine how long this probably took him if like I feel like our our listeners probably are a little familiar with Doug Jones's work at this point. If you aren't, um, I don't think I've ever seen Doug Jones outside of like makeup, Mm-mm. like outside of prosthetics and special effects makeup. Um, but he has had 
very significant roles in films like Hocus Pocus, where he was Billy Butcherson, mm-hmm. um, which is the kind of like walking corpse. Yeah, with the hair and the yeah, isn't it with the the mouth that's got the like stitches in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was also like in Hellboy, which is um Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy. Um, he has been, of course, in um, Pan's Labyrinth, where he's the fawn, or you know him because he has the eyes and the hands. Mm-hmm. So, like that, to me, is also one of his signature roles, and. For me, as a very, very into Star Trek, he is on Discovery, um, where he plays Captain Saru. So he is at first like the second in command of Discovery, and then he becomes captain. Mm-hmm. And he also is an alien on there. So I also need to say, and this is like, this is a super deep cut inside joke between Brittany and me. But did you know that he started off being Mac tonight from McDonald's? Yes. <laughs> he just didn't want to say. <laughs> I, I feel like when I was doing my Mac tonight Googling for <laughs> other reasons I'm related to this, I found that out. That was a deep cut, like in the <laughs> in the group chat. We'll never explain why we find that so funny, but just know we've had deep, deep conversations about Mac tonight, <laughs> which is the character from the McDonald's ads from the 80s, if you uh, didn't know, if you weren't around then, because I don't remember. They probably showed this when I was a kid, too, but... <laughs> it's like a moon, it's a moon-faced man. Yeah, like a literal crescent moon with, like, sunglasses, and he plays the piano. Yeah, I guess it's for like a McDonald's after dark menu for. I guess. So. I, guess. <laughs> I guess so. I don't. I don't know. You know, people used to have fun back in advertising. You couldn't really do this shit kind of like now, like for yeah, real. You know, when freaky <laughs> wants some fries after midnight. There you hey, go, Mac some, tonight. Sometimes I- you need. <laughs> sometimes you need that. Listen, I don't blame him. Um, so I love the makeup. I think he's the most made up character in this. I don't think anyone else really has any. I mean, uh, Michael Shannon's fingers <laughs> are the other thing. Those gross fingers, um, which we will talk about. They were nasty. But I feel like this is maybe not as much prosthetics. Maybe that's why they came in under budget <laughs> in yeah. comparison to other Guillermo del Toro things. Um, uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I mean, I... Like I said, the set design is beautiful. It's very sort of old-fashioned. I don't know how you would describe it. Like not even not even 1960s. It feels older than that, like 1920s or something. Because it's like they live like she lives over that theater, and her house is super um, green. <laughs> Everything is blue yes. and green, of course, which makes sense. When I was watching this, I was like, huh. I have never clocked that this kind of looks suspiciously like Amelie, which other people apparently clocked and been like, hey, yo, you thieving? You thieving Del Toro? <laughs> What's going on? Um, I guess because they got accused of plagiarism several times um, by um, somebody, the estate of Paul Zindel, who made a um, 
a television play called Let Me Hear You Whisper, which depicts a cleaning lady bonding with a dolphin and trying to rescue it from a research center. Um, There's also something that um, I guess the person who directed Amelie and Delicatessen, Jean-Paul Junet, said that um, they looked very similar. There are some scenes that are very similar. And I think also about the music too, the like, that uh what is the guy i forget his name on alexandra de Plot, i think it is i might be this plot i might be messing that up um who did the work on what's our movie what's our movie what's our movie um oh uh, wait i know which one wait 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 we're wait, having problems mm, i know the one i know the one hold on oh, hold on bad. i got oh, less caution less caution yes. My goodness. Okay, we were having problems there. Um, yeah, so they so he composed the soundtrack for this movie, but they were saying that his music seemed very similar to Jan Tiersen's music from um Amelie, or either I guess the City of Lost Children, one of those. So, girl, I mean, I feel like this is not a unheard of sort of story. And the fact that we just watched something just so <laughs> very similar but i think it's told really well so i don't know yeah this is yeah i don't know what to say regarding the allegations here <laughs> because like yeah i don't know what to say about the allegations there's also something called amphibian man which is a 1962 soviet film based on a 1928 novel um that apparently had a similar plot girl I just feel like this is something that people like it's almost a trope more than just like plagiarism <laughs> I guess I'd be more concerned about Amelie because there are some things I was watching and I was like hey yo <laughs> what's up with this scene with the black man on the television <laughs> not another mm. black man on tv <laughs> but I think it works when you like see some of the things and then I have a quote from del Toro um because I watched his interview with Peter Travers and I also read interview with him with Den of Geek and he says that this is a fairy tale for troubled times um and the theme is like having empathy with the other because all us freaks have is each other um did we say this was set in 1962 I can't remember already we haven't said that yet okay yes it was was set set in early 60s yeah 1962 in Baltimore um, and he chose that time specifically because this is quote unquote the Camelot America era, which is like kind of what people described America being um, during like the Kennedy administration. Um, so this is like pre assassination. Um, and this is like when like this is when people think of when they think of the image of like the perfect America where there's like no problems. Everybody had a nice catalogs. And they're leave it to Beaver on TV and the nuclear family, and um, but then you see stuff like <laughs> like civil rights movement and stuff, and people getting hosed down in the streets and and that kind of thing. And you have like characters in the movie that just don't want to face that type of stuff. So it's kind of interesting to see like people are kind of living within a dream world even back then of like what is like what can they face following like the actual problems in the world and like they're like oh let's watch something like a Shirley Temple <laughs> Shirley Temple Bojangles thing that's what yeah. I can handle I can't handle actual like civil rights issues <laughs> so sorry to them but like turn that shit off <laughs> I can't do it 
oh gosh okay this is a very brief aside but like seeing that little clip of Giles like watching like Bojangles and Shirley Temple like wow this is really entertaining mm -hmm. reminds me of when Melissa Joan Hart was like this is race relations and posted a pic of Bojangles and Shirley Temple like yeah look at these people coming together to provide entertainment oh this was God. summer 2020 and everybody's like what the fuck are you talking about God Sabrina God bless and her. it's like she's like what what's the problem that's funny that you said it. it was Melissa Joan Hart I would have thought it was like Alicia Silverstone that seems like no Alicia it was Melissa Joan Hart <laughs> she was like what's the problem and everybody was like what oh. do you mean what's the problem oh my god <laughs> do a google do a Google. Like, what do you mean? My man was probably paid nothing. <laughs> Especially in comparison to Shirley fucking Temple. Yeah. 2020 was a fever dream. Every time I think back to that that tumultuous summer, I was like, how did we live, <laughs> we live through that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done in 1962. <laughs> I would have been like, God would have gone out of my head. <laughs> Literally. Um, and so... Del Toro says that he wanted the camera to feel very fluid, like it was floating in water. So we, we're thinking, we're thinking. Um, and they also talked about a lot of like, this is actually really good. Uh, <laughs> this is a really good interview. I, I might put this in the show notes um, that, you know, he has talked about like, you can be like, obviously there's a this person in the movie has a like a quote unquote deformity or disability because in the movie Liza can't speak. Um, but, you know, he says that you can be deformed or fractured in other ways other than just like the physical. And he talks about like, you know, Catholic dogma and, and tough love in his childhood and um, like the education system and, you know, kind of being the kid that wasn't fulfilling expectations for his parents, like as like what they considered to be a happy, healthy child. And so he said he found a second family in monsters. Like that's why he loves monsters so much. And his family was worried about him. Like his grandma was like, why can't you like draw beautiful things? Cause he was drawing these creatures and things. And he's like, this is beautiful to me. Like this is beauty to me. And um, he says a lot of this, a lot of his work over the past like 25 years or something like that has been, I guess, synchronism. I might be saying that wrong, which is like taking, you know, different, it's like the process of taking different parts of like different religions or belief systems and like molding it into like one thing. And so he says that he is taking like Catholicism myths, like the fish symbolism, the humble Messiah that's been beaten and tortured. And then like combined all that with like universal monsters. <laughs> and he was like, it's just something that I like. Like, I just, you know, this is the thing that gives him the most energy. So, um, so he's like, yeah, it's going to keep coming up in my work. Sorry. <laughs> Um, and he also says a quote I really, really liked, which is emotion is the new punk because it's the most dangerous place for an artist and a storyteller to go. It is the least popular and is the one um, that is seen as a counter, like counterculture. So I was like, oh, because, you know, he like wears his heart on his sleeve. Like he's he is not saying like, oh, we're suggesting that these two fall in love. Like, no, they be fucking <laughs> they are in love and let's celebrate love. And I love that about him. I love that he's not playing it cool in this movie. While we are talking about this, that was something I had to think about in process. That particular plot point, <laughs> like that particular aspect of the plot is taboo. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't think it would be explored in the way 
at all, like even touched upon <laughs> at any point in the entire story. I thought it would be a more chaste plot point. Like, oh yeah, the guild man gave me a kiss. Yeah. And we and are ever after. Love. Yeah. <laughs> the end. And no, it wasn't like that at all. And she's got legs, so you don't have to worry about that pesky fish problem, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. <it> like <laughs> in uh like in Splash, like you don't have to worry about her being a you fish, you know. So uh, she's not really yeah. a fish. It's not really a fish because you can't see the fishiness. But here you're like, no, that, that man is he's not changing. No, that's a a guilt, like that's a guilt man. That's a other being like that's not he not people like he's yeah. not a person that's the that's the attraction part of it he's not people people yeah. are kind of shitty in Guillermo mm-hmm. del Toro's world <laughs> like, yeah. no, I don't blame him I mean like let's love each other but some of y'all are terrible <laughs> mm-hmm. um so we've been talking all this time well, I don't think we even said the plot really but I think you all got the gist which is basically um back in 1962 in Baltimore this is presented as a fairy tale that's what I'm saying like that this really happened this happened this is myth, okay? This is myth passed down over the generations. So back in 1962, um, there is a woman named Eliza who is a cleaning woman in a government facility. She is mute. She can't speak. Um, and she was also an orphan, we find, left um, on the side of the river. If that don't give you a clue. Um, uh-huh. You know who else is left behind um, at the side of a riverbed? Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moses. <laughs> Moses is left. I've had a story about a man. <laughs> I have a story about mm-hmm. a man. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so she is working, and while she um is kind of cleaning and doing her thing with her um coworker, noted actress Octavia Spencer. Why can't I remember what her name is in this movie? I have Del- wait, that's her middle name, Delilah. Girl. I kept talking about that too. Uh, Zelda, Zelda, um, Zelda Delilah. Yes, and uh, so while she's working, um, a secret government experiment is brought in, which it turns out to be the amphibian man. And she notices that he's being tortured and beaten and all this stuff. And she gets to know him, you know, sharing eggs and things, you know, gifts and all that. And uh, she realizes that he is probably going to be killed. And so she takes it upon herself to rescue him. And that is basically the plot of the story. Love ensues. This is a love story after all. What happens to a good love story? There are obstacles in the way of the lovers, aren't there? Yeah, the obstacle is Michael Shannon playing another creep <laughs> that has probably consumed human flesh, <laughs> as Brittany likes to say. Maybe. Uh, you know, Michael Shannon is a great actor, but boy, he probably Girl, ate a little. Yeah, he plays little. Richard Strickland, who in these original monster movies, Guillermo del Toro said something like, you know, he was usually like the hero, like he's a square jawed sort of man every day. Not every day, but he's like this heroic sort of American type. Like, I wouldn't say Captain America, but like that type of shit. You could just see an American flag just hanging off his person. <laughs> at any given time Mm -hmm. and um in this movie he is not the hero he's the bad guy but he thinks he's doing a good job he thinks he's doing the right thing um but he's not he's terrible he's he's the worst he is the one who captures the amphibian man and dragged him from his home back to this government facility and he is not with the shits he 
I guess because um, do you feel me? I was like, girl, I don't like this shit, and attacked him at one point on the journey back <laughs> to America. That uh, they have a tumultuous relationship that results in body parts being dismembered, <laughs> and he is he. I don't know. It's it's creepy because like I feel like Guillermo del Toro does a good job of picking these people out from real life because my goodness, I see this type of person in film and in real life <laughs> just yeah these are bad people and these are real people yeah like you have to think about like how many people on a day-to-day basis thinks they're think they're doing the right thing in the name of their job or just in the name of their beliefs mm-hmm. and what kind of harm it's doing like what kind of like physical like material harm it's doing to people and communities all around them yeah yeah and he doesn't really see that because he doesn't see him as a a creature or a person worthy of being respected or even like humanized in any way Mm -hmm. like you don't have to hurt this thing I don't know why you felt like that was I don't know why that always is the first thing that everybody because remember in in Splash they were like okay we're gonna investigate her body parts now and I was like yo wait whoa whoa there let's crack her open like a crab and get to them reproductive organs wherever they may be like she's at that particular point with splash you could literally just ask her any question and she could tell you x y and z about whatever she wants she can talk like (laughs) he can't talk she could say this is fucked up y'all can you please let me go like i'm in pain like i'm i'm dying you can see i'm ashy i'm ash etn in here yeah like she's flaking off like a i don't know like she's mm-mm. it's not good she's molting mm-hmm. yeah so they are not good to this creature um mm-mm. at all and also there's like a russian spy subplot but we'll get to that um yeah. <laughs> which i love michael stahlberg love him He's good pretty much every time I spot him in something because he was in this movie and he was in Call Me By Your Name. He plays Timothy Chalamet's dad who pretty much saved that movie for me because it was very boring. <laughs> but he has such a good monologue at the end talking about, you know, don't let your heart be crushed just because, you know, young love ended. Like, don't don't crush your, don't shelter yourself away. You know, don't harden yourself. Let yourself be open to new things, even if you've been hurt in the past. And I was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful because this shit was boring as hell. <laughs> it was oh. so boring. It was, yeah, every time I like think of him, I'm like, damn, yeah, he, really, he mm. really turned it out over there. <laughs> Elio's mm. dad, you came through, Mr. Perlman. Um, but yeah, every time I see him, I'm like, oh, I love you. Except for when he was in Bones and all. I'm not, I'm still not sure why he was present for that movie. <laughs> for like the 10 minutes he was in that movie. And I really hoped he was in succession this season. He wasn't. It's fine. We move. We'll be, we'll, we'll live. I just thought it'd be fun. He's good away with words. Good. Hmm. Um, he made me feel so bad for him in this movie, but we'll get to it. Um, and who else? Who else do we need to talk about? And yes. Is there anybody? Oh, we didn't talk about Richard Jenkins. Yeah, we have Giles, who mm-hmm. is um, Eliza's neighbor, yeah. um, who is an artist. Um, he does commercial work, so he does a little bit what Ashley does, but the old-timey version of Yeah, it? I couldn't Uh-oh. do that right now. i tell you right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> and not for the length of time it takes him. They would give me no time to do what he does. 
so he's a graphic designer, um, but for a graphic design back in the day, you had to hand paint all that stuff. So yeah. he is working on like when we meet him, he's working on an ad campaign for Jello. Yeah. Um, where he is hand painting an ad for Jello to kind of do like a freelance project for a firm that he used to be a member of. Um yeah. that he had to take some time away from that later in the story we kind of get a a little bit more of a grasp on why he possibly had to take some time was away it, from was it alcoholism or was it something else because I know he talked about like I haven't drank in like I don't know like a month or something but I feel like it was some other stuff <laughs> I think it's me personally I read it as possibly being something else yeah which we will talk um, about in the story but yeah I know he yeah. mentioned not being drunk but maybe he was being drunk and blank <laughs> mm-hmm. that caused that uh, you might you might need to sit back and chill out but we'll let you work as a freelancer but you gotta work from home <laughs> you can't be up but here. Giles is the only person that um a lot like Giles and Zelda are pretty much the only people that Eliza can communicate with Giles mm-hmm. um understands ASL mm-hmm. um and she can talk to him yeah they don't and, sign back to her though I thought that was kind of no yeah but she can sign to them well she can sign to him I, yeah I guess and, she can hear <laughs> so I guess they wouldn't need to sign yeah. to her but I thought that might be I was kind of like why yeah why didn't they but yeah that makes more sense I guess yeah so like she hangs out with him and like she spends her evenings well the evenings with before she goes into her third shift job with yeah. him and his cats yeah he's got um, multiple cats bless them bless their little hearts <laughs> bless just them hearts. hanging out so like they're like kind of like they're all they got yeah above the um the movie theater yeah she lives above a, an old-timey cinema um and also thought like if you if you keep it up with the amelie comparisons i think this is like the biggest one because he's like it's like the defiel one where her like old, her elderly elderly neighbor who like does not leave his house he's got glass bones or something mm-hmm. and um yeah he's always I, painting in there yeah he's painting a lot and stuff and he doesn't include Eliza in his paintings like Defael does with Amelie but it's still the same vibe like he just kind of like that's her person that she relies on probably the most outside of Zelda like she doesn't really hang out with Zelda outside of work but she hangs out with Giles and (laughs) and his antics because bless his heart Mm -hmm. too (laughs) bless his entire heart but yeah I think those are like the two biggest comparisons I would say like character comparisons especially when they watch the Bojangles thing on TV I was like Lord isn't that what he was doing when he had the old black man singing about something I can't remember what it was <laughs> I haven't watched Amelie in a long time but uh yeah those are the two like biggest comparisons I was like ayo <laughs> ayo it's okay to be inspired but damn this is close um so yeah, I guess it's everything I have like as far as backstory. I will say too that oh, I want to say this. Um because they were talking about like I guess on Den of Geek um I did find it interesting that said that they only had two 
there's a Cadillac featured in this movie. Usually you have two because something happens to the car, you know. And he said we only had one. I was like, damn, they had you on a shoestring uh, budget. <laughs> uh, so when they actually do the thing that they do to the car, which is crash it, uh, they said that they uh, had to shot, shoot everything in order with the car because they couldn't, you know, get another one. Which I was like, damn, you had him out here. It's <laughs> like this man made millions and millions of dollars with uh, Pacific Rim and and Pants Labyrinth and other stuff. It's like, what is everybody's problem? What was the problem here? But then. He says something like, um, you know, in reference to creating a believable and coherent world on screen, he says that you trust your instincts and sometimes your instincts lead you a place that few people appreciate or more people appreciate. He says that the, one of the best movies he's done is Crimson Peak, which is a movie I did not really like, but it is pretty. It is very pretty. I just thought it was going to be more horror, which he explains here. Um, he says that demographically it was not a successful movie, but from a cinematic point of view, it's beautiful. Um, not just in appearance, but the way it's shot, the way it's laid out, the way it's staged, it's gorgeous, which he's like, pat myself on the back. I know I did that shit. <laughs> and he says, but the rest is demographics, whether people are willing and ready and whether it's marketed right and whether it finds an audience or doesn't. Um, he's basically saying like, you know, for me, a successful movie is when they con- when somebody connects with the movie that you've made. Um, but he says, if I could go back in time, I would make Crimson Peak for less money for like $20 million dollars. Um, because he made it for 55 million apparently. So he said that um when I made it for 20, if I made it for 20 million dollars, it would have put the studio in a better position to market it as a gothic romance. They only need to make 60 million dollars. So they can say, oh, we'll just make this a gothic romance. But since he made it for 55 million, he says, I put the studio in an impossible position to make 155 million and they have to make market it uh, as a horror movie. Isn't that mm. crazy? Just like a few yeah. million dollars, and all of a sudden you got to change this shit. Because I was sitting there, I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be a little scary." And I was like, "No, it's just two siblings in love." Yeah, being being weird, being weird and incestuous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it's a good, it's a good movie. It's a good I movie. Really, I like it. I like it more now that I'm watching it. It's like okay, like I know, like this is about like a more of a gothic romance, like you said. But when I first watched, it, I was like, "Is this supposed to be scary?" I am not. I'm not feeling it. <laughs> I'm not feeling any of this stuff, which I don't think he makes like outright like horror movies. But I just, I don't know. That was the vibe that the whole marketing gave me. Which I was like, damn, it's like, there's some scary in this house. And it's, yes, yes it's two fucking yeah. weirdos and the, they're they the, scary. The studios are at it again, girl. The studios are at it again. So, um, yeah. So we've talked enough about the backstory and all of that, pretty much <laughs> giving y'all the inside deep scoop on this movie so we could talk about um the actual plot so um so we mentioned eliza and her nice cute apartment which is like cute and like an old tiny i live mm-hmm. above a another place of business type of way uh-huh. <laughs> not in a, like a, i live in a corporate complex type of way <laughs> Yeah, like something I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I almost lived above a business once, but it was not in the cards. I ended up moving here. <laughs> so um, she just has a pretty basic routine. This is another like Amelie type thing because, you know, Amelie is kind of like I work and I kind of snoop in on my neighbors a little bit and I go to bed. <laughs> and, you know, she what she do? She gets up. Uh, she makes her egg her hard boiled mm-hmm. egg. She sets a timer. She masturbates in the tub. <laughs> if 
by the time the egg is done, she done. <laughs> and she hangs out with Giles for a little bit before she goes to work. She takes the bus mm-hmm. to work. And that's what she does pretty much every day. Yeah, that's just her life. Yeah. She has a routine. She's effective. She goes too. about it. She got that shit done and over with <laughs> in like 60 seconds. I was like, bless this child. And um, yeah, so I think as we said that she works as a, a midnight cleaning facility, or sorry, midnight cleaning lady at a research facility um, with Zelda. Uh, Zelda's character is kind of, I don't know, she's a little flat for me. All she does is complain about her husband and her feet hurting. Yeah, those are two traits. It's like, Eliza, you need to do X, Y, and Z. I'm here to tell you to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and she also, I think think she's in that position too, partially because she's a black lady, you know, but partially because like Eliza can't speak and they be calling her names. All the other people at her job be calling her names, be calling her dummy and stuff, Mm -hmm. which is like, damn, like she can't speak. (laughs) She just can't speak. Like, what is she supposed to do? She's not like, like, she's not stupid, girl. We were terrible. They just spend their days talking, like, hanging out, doing their work, and then... It's really Zelda talking. We got to hear about, like, her husband, who, you know, we found out more about later. I know. I hope she divorced him at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I doubt it, but, you know, <laughs> take the um, charge. He was trash. And, like, they kind of just, like you get their routine like you get yeah. their friendship like you get an idea how their friendship works they kind of like look out for one another um yeah like she does look out for eliza when she's like late and stuff like because they have to do the old timey time cards when you have to punch it and so when eliza's not there she uh i forgot how she does but i think she's like punches her card for her um and like when people call her name, she's kind of like, hey, yo, chill that out. Yeah, she's a good friend. She talks a lot, but she's a good friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Eliza just is kind of, I don't know, I guess content is not happy. It's just kind of like, yeah, this is where my life is. This is how yeah, life is going. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a Wednesday every day. <laughs> and um, I guess today of all days, uh, the center has received a sensitive asset, which is literally the Amphibia Man in a very long tank. And Eliza's in the room because they clean this like, I don't know what you would call this room, this like scientific dungeon. <laughs> yeah. It's probably one of those rooms where, so like the movie takes place during the Cold War. Yeah. Like I, this period in history, which lasted a very long time, the Cold War is technically from post-world war ii to the early 90s yeah i am not very very adept in this particular time period but i know during the early 60s we were kind of in a race with russia in a lot of different aspects with Mm -hmm. like especially like um our nuclear capacities our ability to get into space so we were kind of doing a lot of different things in different aspects Mm. um yeah so i would imagine like this particular room prior to getting the amphibian man probably could have been used for like hey we're training astronauts Mm -hmm. uh let's dunk them in water 
they mentioned like they want to they they're trying to figure out a way to like prepare astronauts for space by the research like and they're going to do on this amphibian man um i don't really know how they were going to correlate correlate but i guess they want to see how he breathed and all that stuff so whatever they could make i guess they could mimic for for the astronauts whenever they managed to get them up there which i I mean it took them another another six years (laughs) get them get them heavenward um but you know, by that time, Russia had already put somebody up there floating around. I think, I think I forget when does Sputnik happen? Sputnik happened like in the fifties, I think. And then I forget when they actually put a man in space. So 1957 was the first satellite. And then there was the man in space. Hold on. The cosmonaut was put up in 1961. Yuri Gagarin. I remember his name. He was in 1961. So by 1962, they're like, fuck it we got to get somebody up there <laughs> we can't let them win yeah it was always like a race toward like technology and also like the threat of going to war but not an actual war in the sense of the previous wars that we've had in the past yeah there wasn't fighting it was just like we can't let them win and we'll sabotage anything that they do and vice versa like there is there's it happens in this movie too where the Russians are like, well, we don't want them to win. We don't give a shit. But as long as they don't have the technology, we don't have it either. Then we won in that sense. So it was a very interesting time. Um, and I guess you could say the Cold War is still chilling out there. Never really got solved. It just kind of got <laughs> thought out a little bit. And we back up in that bitch. <laughs> oh, man. Who, how does this end? I don't know. I hope I'm not here for it, though. I think when they bring in this creature, I'm sorry, the amphibian man, <laughs> Eliza's like, oh, what is this? What's going on? What's happening? Because he's in this like long tank and you don't see anything but just water. And then he like puts his hand up and like slaps the glass. And she's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's different. That's new. I haven't seen that before. And then in comes fucking Michael Shannon. <laughs> Scary ass. <laughs> Um, I wrote down that he reminds me of like Judge. Is it Judge Doom from uh, who's Roger, Roger, um, Roger Rabbit? Yeah. yeah, he has that vibe of, hey, I'm coming to bring law to Toontown. Nobody who <laughs> had anybody convicted of being loony here is being sentenced to death. Like, yeah, how are you going to bring that, the death or whatever? Law to Toontown, like. It's in these tunes, late nature to be toony and loony, bitch. Like, what are you doing? They hate art. They hate art and creativity and things that they can't do. You can't stretch your arm from one side of a football field to another, but like this tune can, and you hate him for it. You resent them, and he resents this damn uh, amphibian man. <laughs> mm-hmm. He is disgusted by him. I, he says all kinds of stuff about him, to be honest. Like, well, like, is, is, is it that serious? It was never that serious. Like, essentially, this is a frog you could have left in the water. <laughs> like, <laughs> you could have left. This why in- are you, like, why did you bother this man? This man was literally minding his business mm-hmm. at his house with his people, like, mm-hmm. chilling. Yeah. he. Um, Here come your ass. I think they mentioned later that, like, he was worshipped as a god, which I was like, is he being serious? But then he was like, he was really being serious. I thought he was kidding. 
But he's like mm-hmm. that Amazonians re- worshipped him as a god and um, they were really upset with, of course, when they took him away and then they like tried to burn down the oil rigs they had and that mm-hmm. didn't, and they said that didn't end well and I was like, good grief. Of course not, fuckers. Like- <laughs> Nasty people. If he'll take his anger out on Amphibian Man, girl, he'll take his anger out on you. He a weird one. I feel like people would be like, comforted by him but like just as my experience as being a young black woman i am terrified by him <laughs> just like i'm terrified by characters like just claude frollo and all that like from from hunchback of notre dame i don't get down it's too much like this is too realistic there's too many of y'all crawling around government with a license to kill whoever you think is the problem so <laughs> Um, so I think, I don't know, do we talk about Liza and, and Giles and how he is gay? We I don't think we mentioned. No, we haven't talked about how Giles is a gay man. Because we need to talk about how he goes to this damn, uh, pie shop. Yeah. So this is where I, like, put it together. Um, because I was like, oh, Giles is fun. <laughs> yeah. Giles just- has, like, personality. Yeah, he has a big personality. He does not like the civil rights protests on the TV, on TV, because, you know, it's just harsh in the vibe to see people fighting for their rights. <laughs> just And seeing them get blown away by hoses and beaten, eaten, by, not beaten, but bitten by dogs and all that other stuff. It's just, you know, it's just fucking up the vibe. Like, how... <laughs> They are causing trouble. They are ruining yeah. my experience of America. So Which puts on, a lot of his, he just watches like musicals. Yeah, he watches musicals. Whatever that Bojangles and and Charlie Temple one is the musical that he puts on. He's like, remember these times? These are good yeah, times. Yeah, when when everybody got along. Yeah, yeah. Good race relations here. Yeah, this is how race relations should go. Yeah. <laughs> great example <laughs> melissa why would you say that i'm not like... <laughs> yeah that's, she... that's wild bitch <laughs> yeah if i'm pretty sure that post is gone but i remember reading it in like at midnight and being like having my wig blown off because i was laughing i was like she out of her fucking mind <laughs> i don't remember that being her i could have swore it was my else i didn't know she was lying. no it was her she had lost it because she was talking about being a child actor and it was like framed in under that way. Wow, Melissa, you were wilding, girl. I'm so glad it's not 2020 anymore. I'm so glad that people are just like, oh no, we outwardly hate you guys now. <laughs> Makes it a lot easier to, to, to interact with people, I, I personally feel. I feel like Giles and his like thing with like musicals from like, I don't know, like 20, 30 years ago. Um, and his like problem later in the movie where he's being pushed out for doing like traditional in- illustration work, which is like painted versus what the new scene was, which is photography, which I think they talk about like mm-hmm. in Mad Men too, um, where, <laughs> where Sal, who is the artist in Mad Men, um, he's like their art director or whatever. He is kind of worried about his job because they want photos and photos are faster and they can do more stuff. And, you know, um, there's a lot more you can do at a faster pace, which is like the art world and the design world's main problem is nobody wants it to take forever. (laughs) We want it right now. We want it for cheap. We don't want to pay you a dime. And I feel like that's his like kind of, 
his weird struggle in a way where he I mean he's got other struggles but like he's kind of looking back towards like the good old days but like his his work is not respected anymore because he kind of represents the good old days a little bit yeah he he is very stuck in a particular place and a particular image of himself mm-hmm. <laughs> that toupee um, yeah <laughs> i'm i'm like thinking of his his toupee as well so it's a hair piece he can't let that go like he can't acknowledge that he's an elder man now. yeah he's yeah um and let go of that you know acknowledge that he he's he's a balder he's a he's a bald man yeah um and maybe he doesn't not that he doesn't do good work because that um jello ad was great but it also took him several several weeks or like a couple days to get it done and you know it was no place for him to do it yeah they didn't need them yeah, it just didn't represent, like, new. Or, I mean, I don't know when, like, the real, like, youth quake happened at this time, like, in America. But, like, once you start getting into, like, the more, like, wilder colors and people start dressing differently and, and all that, like, you are, like, you're out of there. Especially since I think it's supposed to be about, like, the space race, too. And it's supposed to be, like, Jello is the future. <laughs> you're using these old, oh. these old ass, um like painterly things which are beautiful but like it just doesn't represent the strategy now I'm talking like fucking art director (laughs) but like it doesn't represent what they're trying to do so he's being pushed out plus the fact that they eventually are not going to want to pay him that much money like they're not going to want to I know that from experience (laughs) and I also feel like you mentioning that also probably plays into his crush oh bless yep his crush is on a a young very to me like a 20 year old pie man yeah like not a ned the pie man he's like a james (laughs) dean the pie man (laughs) tight yeah yeah he's not adorable like ned was and tall like lee faces but he's yeah he's like some blonde i for some people this would be a hottie i guess i don't know i'm not into blonde Mm -mm. (laughs) but like this is yeah he's into like youth and vitality and he's got the um quote-unquote I guess unfortunate in this movie not unfortunate but like damn bro like you're gay and this man is like do not absolutely like do not touch me (laughs) and in the in the future um we keep going to this place that has pie it's like a chain or whatever even though it's made up to look like a mom and pop shop that like you would just find in a small town the guy is like, you know, old timey type of Southern accent, like a y'all come back down here type, which is not even his real accent. I think he's from Canada, he said. <laughs> and so he's just making it Minus. up. I know, he's just making it up for branding and stuff. And so they go there. Giles makes Eliza eat this damn key lime pie, which is not good. And he keeps a bunch of them in his fridge. That's how bad they are. Like, oh, we'll save it for later. And he's got like yeah. 10 of them in his fridge. So that shows you, like, he goes to that pie shop. He is on his Alicia Key shit, girl. With the hot chocolate. Every- <laughs> Yo, here's Alicia Key shit every you- day. Talk about you know me. <laughs> What's the special for today? Yeah, what was it like? Collard greens today. What are like collard greens and hot chocolate? <laughs> That's so disgusting. Why would you do that to most deaf for real? 
that was insane even back then like <laughs> you can't even think about the romantic nature of the song because <laughs> she's trying to kill this man Collard grease and hot chocolate. See, the video messed up the song. Like the song could have been whatever lived on it its was. own. The videos had the lace touch. Special today, color grease, yams, and she poured hot chocolate. No, no. Why would you do that to that man? That's disgusting. Anyway, um, yeah, he's friendly with this guy, and I think he like talks to him at one point, and then he goes down there. I guess he has a thing where he delivers. He delivers the painting on time. The guy says, um, like his art director or whoever at the firm is like, yo, like we need to change the color. It needs to be, I forgot what color, red. I think it was green, green and they turned it to red, red or the opposite. It was red and he was like, oh, no, no, no. We and need these key lime. This yeah. lime jello now. Lime is the color of the future. Girl. Which I feel that that's my color of the summer. So I got you. <laughs> Just imagine that, but like, we need you to change the color and we need it done in like 10 minutes instead of like two days. Like, <laughs> that's how it is nowadays. But he goes back, I guess, because he says, like, I haven't been drinking and the clients don't want him in the room, is what I got mm-hmm. to. Or they just don't feel like they yeah. can have him in the room with the clients. Like, they don't know yeah. that he's still doing the work. So I feel like it's probably like a client directive where he was probably in a meeting. He either said something crazy or he might have came on to somebody, I guess is what you're suggesting. And they were like, we yeah. don't want him on. The, we don't want him on this no more. <laughs> yeah, that's like my interpretation of this. What happened to his career? Someone somewhere somehow found out he was gay mm-hmm. and did not want him working on any of the project. In, like not necessarily that particular project, but like mm-hmm. any project period and his partner at this firm is like i'm doing you a solid by giving you this particular assignment yeah and i feel like (laughs) this definitely happened in mad men too shout out to sal your uh, story ended uh crazy um because they were going to keep him on but then he showed up to the meeting and the dude uh who had come on to him was a client (laughs) and secretly nobody knew the client was gay um was like get him out of here right now or i'm taking the business elsewhere so ah! yeah it was it was girl it was bad and this is the man had came on to sal it wasn't sal's fault this is the biggest injustice of the whole damn show and a show full of injustices <laughs> we're not really that far removed from all that stuff but still like girl i mean obviously you can't do that now like you can't be like hey we're firing because you're gay <laughs> and you're because you're indiscretions but people do find a way to circumvent that and get you up out of here so um yeah it's really sad like his whole thing and then he ends up going back to the pie shop without eliza and the guy's just like hey what do you think this is (laughs) don't touch me and the guy's racist yeah this man showed his true colors in like 17 different ways because he was having like a really bad day after like giles was having a bad day after like being told like yeah dog it's a no mm-hmm. but like he went to like oh i'm gonna get a pick-me-up pie and he's like don't even yeah like, this pie. <laughs> like y'all pie is nasty but you cute essentially. yeah and the man was like the fuck like yeah no D- no yeah. i am homophobic 
get out of here. Yeah, he said, don't come back here. It's a family restaurant. Because I think all Giles did was like, he put his hand over his. He was like, I'd like to get to know you better. Like, he wasn't even yeah. like, didn't even say something crazy. Like, I'll suck your dick in the parking lot. Like, <laughs> he just no, he was like, just like, <laughs> he's like, hey, can we hang out, essentially? Yeah, can and we this be, man was like, can we be buddies? No. Can we I'm be a buddies? homophobe. Yeah. Get and, the fuck out of here. and then these black people came in the restaurant and he's like, you can't be in here. We don't have anywhere for you to sit. Of course, the place is empty. He, he's like, you gotta get your pie to go. Yeah. He's like, wait, no, it's a whole bunch of counter space and empty seats. And he's like, we don't serve your kind. Yeah, basically. I'm like, okay, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And Giles is kind of horrified, which I think comes into like, to like how he'd been talking to Eliza and how he'd be talking about the amphibian man. So we'll go back to the amphibian man. I just had to go on down Giles' story because it's it's kind of it's sad, but it's kind of wild at the same time. <laughs> yeah, Giles is like shaken up to his core, which also he's lost his job. Like, yeah, he's lost his job. He lost like a crush on somebody. Mm-hmm. Like he saw somebody reveal themselves to be a ugly, nasty disgusting vile person yeah and he was like you had like weeks of like good interactions with somebody and have them to be like a racist homophobic piece of shit is like he's shaking up i know because he's dressed like an old-fashioned pie guy too he's like kind of like you know in his in his fantasies of like this better time he's probably like the perfect stand-in or whatever and kind of has this like leave it to beaver ass like <laughs> vibe to him and he's just ugly he's an ugly person mm-hmm. um and he never goes back to that pie shop again which shout out to you save your 10 cents spend it on something that worth <laughs> worth a damn <laughs> and um so liza has been uh back in the facility i guess liza and Zelda are cleaning the bathroom. Strickland comes in. Strickland does not wash his hands. So he washes his hands to make like, like make small talk. And then he went over to like start peeing. And he was like, oh, y'all don't have to leave. Y'all can stay there. Yeah. And I'm like, y'all can get a glimpse of my dick. <laughs> dare you? Like, how dare you do this in front of these women? Like, you nasty man. I don't. Th- I thought he didn't wash his hands at all because then he makes this whole thing about a man doesn't wash his hands before and after. Like he picks, he picks. He either washes his hands before, or he ra- before or his after. Hands. And I was like, why would you wash your hands before? I guess so you clean, yeah. you touch your own dick, but then like you touch your dick, like it. Mm-hmm. It's no, been, he messy. It's been fermenting in your in your pants for the day. <laughs> this is nighttime. It's midnight. It's after midnight. You have been fermenting. Oh. He pees and then he was like. Yeah. But then you go touching everything. I'm going to have this conversation. I'm also going to piss on all your work because I'm a piece of shit. I forgot. Then I'm going to eat some gum. I for- oh, God, the gum after. That's disgusting. Yeah, because like uh, Zelda had been complaining that her husband had like men pee everywhere, which they fucking do. I don't know. You have the technology. You have the tools <laughs> to not pee everywhere. <laughs> he comes in. After they cleaned, pees all over all over everything. Doesn't wash his hands. Pops in that gum. Forgets his bully stick, which has blood all over it because he's been beating on the uh, amphibian man. And Eliza's kind of like, "Yo, what the fuck?" 
<laughs> and then it turns out later, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a bully stick, it was a cattle prod. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a cattle prod. So they've been electrocuting this this poor creature mm-hmm. and beating him. And so later on, like, I don't know, maybe like 10, 15 minutes later, uh, they hear gunshots and Strickland comes out. And I thought he was dead, honestly. I thought somebody shot him. <laughs> He goes out stumbling because the amphibian man has bitten off two of his fingers. Yeah. Them boys go. It was like his ring finger and his pinky, which later yeah. Strickland is like, oh, I still got my pussy finger and my, my trigger finger. And I was like, finger. Ugh. I was like, no, sir, <laughs> you not Dane Cook. Don't be saying shit like that. Ew. Is that what Dane Cook is? <laughs> Probably. Dane so. Cook with his 20-year-old girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. Why are men? Why do men? Why do men? Is my... Like, forget. What is... I, I can't... I can't do the Dane Cook. Oh, wait. I don't know what that is. I, I, I reject whatever you're doing. Whatever symbol you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> She's doing something with her hands. and I reject it. I reject all of it. I reject everything that Dane Cook has ever done. Um, so Eliza and Zelda, I don't know why I have to think every time I say her name, Eliza and Zelda are tasked with cleaning up the facility in 20 minutes because there's blood everywhere. They also find Strickland's fingers. They see the creature comes up in the tank, not the, not the pool part, but like the tank part. And she saw that he's been shot and she's like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I forgot who said this quote, but I I copied it down and said, I think it was Zola that said that. She said, I saw a mermaid at a carnival once, but it was a monkey selling to the tail of a fish. <laughs> that like- yeah, that was Zelda. <laughs> she, yeah. Because she was trying to, like, Eliza, when she was picking up the fingers and putting it in her, her lunch bag, mm-hmm. she was like, they got a mermaid in there. It's a mermaid in there. I saw, I seeped it. I seeped it. <laughs> it's a mermaid in there. They got mermaids. Mermaids exist. I seeped it. Girl, absolutely. Which would have been me, because I'd be like, bruh, it's a mermaid in a tank. I seeped it. Would you have confused a manatee? Would you have confused a manatee for a, um, for a mermaid? Would you have been one of those um, people? Honestly, yes, because I would probably be throwing up and shit on the side of the boat and be like, oh, shit, <laughs> In the 1500s, coming over from Spain on one of them boats. <laughs> be sick of shit. Be like, mermaids. I haven't eaten uh, vitamin C in, in, in months. I got the scurvy. I got the scurvy. Scurv. <laughs> it's mermaids. They got mermaids. I don't mermaids know. down there. I don't know what you would have done seeing the amphibian, man. You would have blown your I'm mind. Mm-hmm. Would have turned you inside mm-hmm. out. <laughs> <laughs> So Eliza decides to go back the next night with an egg. She offers him an egg in this trying time and he takes it. Mm-hmm. He's hungry. He's hungry. He's kind of like, what, what is this? But he, he eats it. Um, and also um, they start questioning. So Strickland ends up questioning them about the fingers because he gets them. Girl, he gets them sewn back on the, they was not on ice. No, they sewed them back on. He was kind of like, why were my fingers in a lunch bag? But okay, thank you. Like, and I, I think he's giving them the, the task of like cleaning this room, but also like, do not tell anybody what you've seen, basically. 
but also he intimidates them and is really racist <laughs> in a way that I was kind of like, God damn, this is, this is nasty work. He's like questioning Zelda about her middle name, which mm-hmm. is Delilah. And then he's like, yeah, they know, you know who Delilah is in the Bible. <laughs> she the one who cut off Samson's hair and made him a victim for the Philistines. Yeah. And, then, and I was like, yeah. And he tells what? the story about Samson, basically, when they chained him to those pillars or whatever. And. I forgot what happens, but he basically shakes the whole damn city down to the ground. So he won out in the end, even though this woman betrayed him by putting his eyes out or whatever. Yeah. And Delilah and Zelda, I know you got like a billion brothers. Yep. He said, (laughs) oh, you don't have. Yeah. You don't have no siblings. It's not common with you people. I wrote that down. I was like, this is some shit. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? And she's like, no, I'm an only child. Yeah. Some of us exist, (laughs) sir. (laughs) I was like, and that's crazy too. I'm like, there's white people of certain ethnicities that have lots of children. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? Why are you talking like this to this woman? Like, what what is your problem? Yeah. What is your problem? He thinks And also you literally have a file on her. You have two files on both of these women sitting in front of you that you've read. So now you're just being racist. I think he just wants to like test them to I guess to see like their discretion because he probably doesn't want this getting out especially because like the whole big thing is that they don't want this to get out to the russians which doesn't matter anyway because there is a russian <laughs> they in there, are, they are already in there. <laughs> yeah i forget what his name is what is his name is michael Salberg's character but oh robert hostetter um who was really named dimitri um which we find mm-hmm. out later and um so yeah they're like kind of basically like you guys are going to be the ones to clean this tank or not clean the tank but clean this area like we're not letting anybody else in this area except for you guys so we need discretion don't be weird i'm gonna be really racist to you and also a little bit um sexually uh, suggestive as he was <laughs> in another scene with eliza that was nasty was this the same no this was the same scene i thought is it no no he calls her back yeah. later when she's by herself so she doesn't have the person like protect her can't communicate with through a leg Zelda yeah yes so like during this scene (sighs) she is asking her questions I believe this is the scene where he's asking her questions and she is like I'm tired of this shit and she's saying fuck you no that was later that was a little bit later but yeah she she does ends up signing fuck you at one point which (laughs) he doesn't know what's happening and uh zelda's kind of like yeah girl she's just saying thank you (laughs) (laughs) she's just expressing her gratitude but yeah he's weird because he's got like a weird sex fetish where he don't want nobody talking (laughs) yeah he outside of not liking people of color he doesn't like yellow monsters like women he doesn't like women he doesn't like anybody but Mm -hmm. probably other white men (laughs) yeah yeah that's like the only group of people he respects yeah that is um he goes home at one point he's got the leave it to beaver children he does not like baltimore at all he does not want to be there he does not want to be stationed there i forgot why he is stationed there in the first place um but he's kind of like i can't wait to get the hell out of here 
And his wife is like, okay, well, wash your hands very carefully and come upstairs after they send the kids to school. And I was like, girl, what on earth? And she basically calls her boobs a Cadillac. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and then mm. they start having, oh, first of all, I did not remember that I saw Michael Shannon's bare ass in this movie. <laughs> and I was like, Del Toro, I'll follow you a lot of places, but why'd you take me there? You didn't have to take me there. That was not nice to you. <laughs> Yeah, I was not expecting that, but I was like, oh, okay. Then yeah, I, I kind of had a little jump scare, and I was like, not Michael Shannon's ass. And then, like, he's covering her mouth with his nasty ass hand, and he bleeds on her. <laughs> she was like, hey, F, mm, mm, you, you, you bleeding on me? And he's like, shut the fuck up. And I was like, my goodness. So he's got like a thing for like Eliza, like in an intimidation, plead, predatorial type of way, like, oh, she can't talk. So yeah, you a little bit interesting because I'll make you scream. And I was like, ew, no, somebody needs to know your time needs to come and he needs to come now. Yeah. <laughs> You're gross. Um, I think also t- during one of these sessions, we get that Eliza is Eliza Esposito, who is an orphan raised um, by, I don't know, I think like in a convent or something. Can't remember, but she's got scars on her neck. Um three scars on her neck yes that somebody has basically said like, like severed her vocal cords when she was a child and as previously mentioned she was found by a river mm-hmm. that's interesting isn't it isn't it crazy how that happens that everybody ignored that part <laughs> in all their discussions um so she's coming to the amphibian man she's bringing eggs at one point she brings him six eggs i was like that is a lot of eggs friend um and he's eating them they're playing music he's introducing her to music and uh and communication they're signing yes. to each other he's learning he's signing back that's a sign of intelligence you know he's not just some animal out here even though animals are also intelligent like yeah he could understand what is happening to him he yeah. knows what's up yeah he could talk back so you can probably ask him some questions about his culture and his home that no, you we, stole him from and yeah, destroyed. Yeah, we didn't get that part. We didn't get that part, unfortunately. Um, so while she's kind of, I think at one point she's like, they're talking about music and then she puts her hand on the glass and he puts his hand on the glass. And then <laughs> uh, Dr. Hostetter comes around the corner and was like, oh my God. <laughs> He's like, ooh, he he know he walked into like a, a intimate moment, but also at the same time, he's like, Oh shit! The asset can communicate. The asset is like this is science here. Knows he knows what's going on, so we probably got to do something. Yeah, yeah, because you know he didn't. They didn't realize probably because Strickland's just been sitting there beating on him that um you know he's incapable of thought and communication. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't think that. Um, I don't know if they had had gotten to that level of 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 exploration yet <laughs> aside from like beating him senseless and shooting him we find out that really quickly that dr hofstetter is a <laughs> russian spy by the name of dimitri um who meets in a russian restaurant i guess um with his like handlers so this gave me the americans if anybody listening to this has, has watched the americans like i was getting like full on when they meet up with granny and they meet up with what's his name i can't remember his name but he's a really famous actor um and it's not anthony mahela who is that i can't remember his name um 
I can't remember, but it was giving me that vibe and they had to go talk to their handlers out in the park and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's giving, it's taking me back. Let me go back to Philip and Elizabeth Jennings one of these days because that is a great show. Um, but they, um, they also want the creature. They want the amphibian man and they want Dr. Hostetter to extract it from the facility. And he's trying to tell him like, you know, he can communicate. Like we are on the verge of something much bigger than what we thought. Um, and they don't really care <laughs> like at all. Yeah. They, they like, mm. <laughs> all right. That's nice. I got, yeah. I don't see how this is relevant to us really at this particular point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's at a race against time because Strickland is getting, I guess, reviewed by this, I don't know, general or something. I guess it's a general because, you know, he this is like, I have five stars on my badge, son. And that kind of, he definitely comes from like Beaumont, Texas or whatever <laughs> type of thing. And they, uh, they're showing him the creature and all this stuff. And uh, Strickland's like, I want to dissect him because he's got lungs here. We also got lungs here, and you find out how they work. And blah, blah, blah. I don't even think he really cares about all that. I think he just wants to kill him. Yeah, you bit my fingers off, you motherfucker. Yeah, and now you gotta die. That's basically what I. Yeah, he wants revenge. He wants revenge, is. and the general's like. Yeah, let's do it. And um, Dr. Hofstetter's like, no, we can't do that. Like, this is a capable, like, like yeah. this is something that is capable of speech and capable of communication and things. And the general's like, I'm a five-star general, sons. I can do whatever I want. And I say that we're going to dissect the creature, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, I'm like, oh, shit. Because I feel like he generally, like, he genuinely is invested in like the scientific nature of this whole thing but also he's got uh problems <laughs> with his home yeah, country like like yeah like if i could learn to communicate with the amphibian if i could learn to communicate with gil like <laughs> gil <laughs> like if me and gil could start a dialogue yeah then what would like this can benefit me at the house yeah but also like this is a cool discovery as like a scientist. yeah like, like he's, he's not just playing scientist. i'm gonna go down to history bro yeah. like me and gil could be like <laughs> in the history books and that's honestly like duh michael shannon you are not remarkable like you have no you ain't got no stars on your badge you're not going nowhere no like you if you were thinking forward like you could go down in history like you and gil could be like these people never think but they don't ever think forwardly they just react in the moment um which is kind of weird like i think they trade stories about being like in korea or somewhere like strickland was in korea so he's like a military man but which i guess is why he's in this position that he's in but <laughs> it's not very decorated from what i could tell he might be i might have missed like overlooked he probably has a purple heart for me and doing something like the woman who can who does not really communicate with gorillas um who is that is that jane goodall <laughs> yeah like she couldn't technically communicate with gorillas like coco sign but 
she wasn't exactly speaking full sentences. Like they weren't actually communicating with one another, but we all know, <laughs> like we all have it written, like we all like knowledge, like allegedly she was able to communicate with Coco the real one. Like, but girls can communicate like primates, yeah. which is important to know, but with, in the hands of these people like Strickland, like, that knowledge is quickly used and discarded. Like, it's not something that you would take into account. Like, this is mm-hmm. something to be eliminated. And that's it. And it's like, how can you be so reactionary? <laughs> you don't think ahead at all. You don't. Just think about how you just shot the thing. Like, you shot, you shot him. You shot Gil. Mm-hmm. And he fine. Yeah, we don't ever, no one in that room really got the the real important part, which is that he has regenerative and restorative properties. <laughs> also, like, Gil, like, you, like, Gil was bleeding. Like, Gil, Gil was, Gil was not doing well. Like, you made Gil bleed several times. And, like, a couple hours, minutes later, Gil was all right. Like, yeah, he was going to bite your fingers off, but he was okay. I don't think. They too worry about his gills and his lungs, so like, so they can use him to go to me, space. I would have been like, "Hey, Gil, get an extra long Q-tip, get a little swabby swab, a little blood or some spit or something." I don't know what he does. Take he that just, to the lab. He just puts his hands on them, right? When he actually does use his yeah like, magic powers. Let me get some of your head sweat or something. <laughs> so like. You don't have to harm the the baby. Like you don't have to harm this man. Yeah, a lot of people. This like, man. Their only way of interacting with the world is like harming everything, which we see pretty much daily now. Almost daily, <laughs> so somebody is hurt, and that's the only way anybody can think of like interacting with the world is hurting somebody physically, which is nuts because it's not a good way to live, guys. Yeah, and just like, what are you gonna do? You're just gonna wage war on everything until you die. <laughs> That's how you yeah. resigned your life to be. That's crazy to me. But some people, that's uh, what they are using to cope with the general decline of the world. So mm-hmm. it's a very dangerous world out here. It's also kind of crazy that we are, I don't know, 61 years after this movie. And it's the same old shit, which I think Guillermo del Toro mentioned in one of his interviews. He's like, it's not. Like, people are telling him that this movie was timely. He's like, it's not really timely. It's just like nothing has changed. You just happen to kind of have looked up from whatever you were doing and having to notice that, oh, this is really aligning with everything that's happening right now. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> nothing has changed. I think that they, doesn't he try to get time? Like Dr. Hofstadter tries to get extra time, but they're just like, no, we're going to, we're going to chop him up tomorrow. Yeah. But he tries to like, they said, okay, well, if you could, could you got like 20 minutes, try <laughs> to pitch me your ideas for why we should save this this creature yeah and he's like okay i'm gonna try it yeah like he tries to like (laughs) what did they say like this is a really like gigantic scientific discovery and we can learn all Mm -hmm. these things and just like that's not interesting that does not involve guns or hurting something so i don't care (laughs) yeah there's like yeah boy you try it but fuck that let's let's keep it moving we pulling the lever tomorrow (laughs) we sharpening sharpening those knives tomorrow um, mm-hmm. so Eliza's in the room when this all happens and she runs home and is like, Giles, we gotta, we gotta make some shit shake. I got a plan. We need to come up with a plan. Actually, she doesn't have a plan. We need to come up with a plan. Um, because they're gonna kill him and he is important to me. And Giles is like, girl, you are <laughs> 
what? She's like, this don't make no sense. She's like, no, yeah. I love this man. She's yeah. like, he like this man. What the fuck? Are you yeah, he, she calls him a man, and then she says something really important, which I thought was like, I didn't get the whole like monologue, but apparently, like during this video interview with Peter Travers, Guillermo del Toro got like really emotional <laughs> when he was recounting it. Like he's almost started crying when he was recounting it because he's like, this means like this is me saying this like because she's she said something basically like I talked to him and he accepts me even though he knows my faults and he knows my flaws like because she says he's not a complete person which is terrible I'm like oh because she can't talk like that's like what (laughs) like people made her feel that bad about herself that's what got me watching this scene like she's trying to make Giles doesn't get it at all like he's like what the fuck are you talking about yeah but she's like so like she's so hurt because not only like she's so connected to him because they can talk to each other they spend time listening to music they cracking open them eggs they're having (laughs) such a wonderful time and they can just sit and be themselves around each other and they accept themselves for who they are yeah and she can't do that with anyone else because she can't have that kind of relationship with anyone else as she knows it because she just can't like even though she spends all that time with Giles it's not that same kind of relationship she spends a significant time of her work day with Zelda and it's not that kind of relationship because Zelda uses up all her time to talk about her husband and things come on on at home Eliza can't share yeah in on that Giles also takes up a lot of his time spending time in the past or what he wishes life would be and she can't connect really with that but yeah. with the Gil man with you know amphibian Mr. man Gilliam she's just <laughs> Gil Gilliam <laughs> she's just herself and they're just themselves so yeah it's just like that's my man and he gets it yeah yeah and and I think Giles at first is like what she say I think too she says like she feels like a I don't know if she says she feels like a freak I think I wrote this down in my notes but she just feels like othered all the time and he Mm -hmm. she says that Gil (laughs) he doesn't see what I lack and I was like this is so sweet this is beautiful and if you watch that interview, like he does like say like he, it makes me like choked up every time I talk about that monologue. Cause he was like, this is very much like myself being put into this, like through her words. And I was like, I love you so mm. much. Del Toro. I love you too, Del Toro. You are the best. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I just love you so much for that. But um, Giles is like, yeah, I'm not into that. <laughs> He's like, no, like, yeah, I'm not about to go to jail. What the fuck? Well, he's, he's basically about? like, I can't, we can't change things. We can't change anything. And this is before the whole incident with the, with the ad agency and with the guy at the pie shop and all that. So um, he kind of gets the reality check after that. But, you know, he's so resigned into like this false sense of contentment that he won't help her and so she makes a plan on her own and shout out to her um because she said i'm gonna get my man yes mm-hmm. sir um on the other side of town um bob slash dimitri <laughs> dr hofstetter 
says that we need to get the creature out of there because they're going to kill him. And uh, Moscow's like, yeah, that's cute, but we don't care about that either. Like, we don't want the Americans to have, like, we don't, we want them. But if the Americans can't have them either, that's even better. Like, we don't, we don't have the technology and they don't either. Fine. <laughs> and so they tell uh, Bob slash Dimitri that they need, that he needs to kill the amphibian man. They need to feel, kill Gil. <laughs> kill Gil. <laughs> they need to kill Gil. Yeah. Tarantino, write that one. Don't do that. And um, <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> it would be terrible. Um, and he's just very disappointed because, like he said, there's a lot to learn um, about Gil that, you know, they're wasting. But what's more important to Moscow is that they the Americans don't learn anything like we'd rather no one learn anything, which is so don't you feel like that's like the the crux of everybody's politics today is like, I don't want you to have shit. I don't care if I don't get it either, but you shall won't get it. <laughs> yeah, I that is something that just gets all the way under my skin. Mm-hmm. Just like if I know something, I'm going to tell every single person I know yeah. about it so they don't have to struggle or experience any hardship. It's not like it needs to be a secret, especially if it's something like minuscule or just something that you don't need to struggle with. Yeah. But so many people believe in. I had to learn this the hard way and you you don't you need to experience that same struggle too it's like why no just because the world always worked that way doesn't mean it has to continue to work that way yeah like think of how many systems are out here that are fucked up and broken that harm so many groups on a daily (laughs) basis that you can fix by fixing just one tiny thing like, why do you want to continue to live in a world like this on purpose? Like, why do you want to continue to do this on purpose? No imagination. Why do you want the world continue to be shitty on purpose? That's something that I just don't understand. Because we've sold everybody the, like, the ethos or doctrine or whatever that if you struggle and you make something happen, then you deserved it for all the struggle. And I'm just like, I don't actually want to struggle. I'm, I'm I have a very limited amount of time on this earth and it gets more limited every day because look at how the climate is looking out here right now it's looking shaky people are getting shot at the mall <laughs> like there is not a lot of time to do things why do you want me to struggle right up until somebody hurts me if that's how, if that's how we have to learn things we're never gonna learn anything there's not gonna be any progression for the society at all and i don't know it's <laughs> we can't and- have everybody learn individual lessons we don't have time we we have to extend more grace and be a lot more empathetic for other people because it is harming us in huge, 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 huge ways. I think at this point in the movie, Strickland buys a Cadillac because that's all his wife the was car a Cadillac. Of the future. Yeah, the car of the future. That guy was selling it too. I, like, mm-hmm. I almost bought me a Cadillac too. <laughs> in my like, dreams. <laughs> in my dreams. <laughs> like his sales pitch. I wanted that exact Cadillac. Though. Oh yeah, no. But like <laughs> he was making he was selling it particularly for this man. Like he was there was no other color. He convinced him to get the teal and like the red or whatever, I think. Like, you know, teal's a little bit iffy of a color, I think, for this person. But like he sold it to him. I thought it was funny that he got the Cadillac after his wife calling his t- her titties with Cadillac. <laughs> 
<laughs> like he's like, no, I gotta get behind the real the wheel of the real thing. Yeah, he was like, you need this car. This is a car of the future, and you're a man of the future. And yeah. He's like, mm, I am a man. <laughs> I am a man of the future. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and um, so I guess at this point, Liza has convinced Giles that they're gonna rescue Gil. Um, mm-hmm. Including he has devised costumes, he has devised badges, <laughs> he is, um, he's got his hair piece all together, <laughs> he's got uh-huh. his outfit, you know, so he gives the right part. He's really thought about this after saying it, mm-hmm. no thank you. Um, and so um, they're basically, I think Eliza has like, she's kind of devised it where she's seen how the cameras in the space lineup so she kind of moves around and and they've got a pathway because they end up renting this van or stealing this van I forgot how they got the van um and so they pose as like cleaners that come in and um she ends up trying to get him into a laundry basket (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and uh Dr. Hofstadter catches her but he's like okay well this is kind of what I wanted so like let's make it happen and um and he tells her like how like basically he helps her and he also is like you gotta give him this kind of stuff it's like feeding a fish yeah she's like he needs his special like aquarium mix for his water also you gotta put a little salt in there yeah you know keep the water fresh you gotta top them off you know yeah you know he's a nice gotta have a nice habitat which I was kind of like, you need salt? Like, I thought there was, a, is there, I thought the audio was on with the fresh water. Like, that's too detailed. But like, I was like, eh, but, but I was like, I don't want to think too hard because maybe my geography is off, you know, and I'd be wrong. <laughs> but like, like got to put that Himalayan sea salt in there, you know. Yeah, he's got his little flakes. He's got his, um, his table salt and they mm-hmm. put him in that little laundry basket and uh wheel him down to the dock or whatever meanwhile giles is there he's not doing a good job no <laughs> with the, gu- he's uh, the not guard actor on this one nope he fucks up and so i forget what happened like he almost gets caught and i think isn't it bob that shoots him the guard yes. girl bob was packing <laughs> bob like he's a his little photoshop his 60s photoshop i.e paint um, it was like wearing off on his little fake ID. Oh, and Giles is the guard was like, the guard <laughs> had a gun on him. Was like, you got to get the fuck out this car. Yeah, <laughs> get are, out the car. Uh, you are not who you say you are. You're probably a spy. Essentially, probably is what his thought was. Which I was like, you think spies are that bad? <laughs> I mean, probably. No, this man. In in the and, in the almost twenty years since World War Two, you think that spies are this bad? <laughs> <laughs> and they bob, have a lot of practice bob puts like a bomb essentially on the fuse for yeah. the, power, the power fuse yeah so his handlers have given him a bomb because what they wanted him to do was i don't say a bomb but it's like something to like to fuck up the lights not like a bomb or like explodes <laughs> kills everybody yeah. but like it disrupts the fuse and they were, he was supposed to do it. It gives him like, I don't know, like a minute or whatever to turn off the lights. He could stab the creature with his, like this like serum or something to like kill him. And mm-hmm. then he could escape. 
um, and they can get him back to Russia or whatever, or extract him to the next point, um, and he go free or whatever. Creature's gone, blah, blah, blah. We were never here. Um, so he uses that little fuse thingy to fuck up the lights. They get um, Gil out there. Zelda pops up somehow, I guess, because Liza never rode home with her or never met her out to like walk out of the building together <laughs> so mm-hmm. she finds liza she's like what are you doing liza's is like we got to do this like no. you know she's like none don't worry about it my business don't worry about it like, hell no hell no don't do this yeah but she ends up helping they get him onto the van and right around the time that uh what's his face that uh strickland comes out <laughs> and so he tries to shoot at first of all Giles backs into this man's branding Cadillac, ruins it. So this is the only Cadillac they had on set. So if he hadn't backed in the right way, <laughs> it would have been a hot mess. And they get away, even though Strickland has been shooting at their car. Yeah. And from that point on, he is livid and he's on a warpath. Yes, they fucked up his car, ruined mm-hmm. his reputation with the general, because now the general would think he a pussy. Yeah. And... They stole something that was important. They stole, not only did they, they stole from the government, stole from but the government. they stole from the government under his watch. Yeah. So that means they stole from him. Yeah. And you can also like- How dare they? <laughs> you can also say too that like, um, that I guess since what the Cadillac represents, which is like super manly sort of like alpha white male thing. I mean, black people like Cadillacs too, but like <laughs> it's right in this movie, like what it represents, like after he destroys it, it's just like, how dare you make a slight on my masculinity? Yep. You put, mm, mm. Especially if you had known that Giles was gay, Lord help me. <laughs> he would have lost his shit if he had known that. So um, he is not with the shits and he starts questioning every single person in the entire building all the mm-hmm. all the crew all the cleaners because it's not just Liza and Zelda they're like a team of them there's a lot it's like I feel like it's mm-hmm. a pretty big building considering how many people come in at night mm-hmm. it's gotta be at least 20 or 30 of them mm-hmm. so um he's pissed like <laughs> he is so mad and, and he's experiencing necrosis with his fingers so those fingers were turning black he said that they were supposed to they they, they had to i don't know what the like time it was going to take to figure out if they were going to reattach but i feel like you would have known with like within like a day or two and it was just they were turning black and they smelled. People could smell. Yeah. You're walking around smelling like death mm-hmm. and decay. Yeah. So he's he's not having a great time. No, work. he's having the worst day ever. Richard Strickland mm-hmm. in the no good, very bad day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was bad. So Liza gets home. I love the card that they that she gives him. That she gives Gil. <laughs> Says, I'm glad to have you as a friend. <laughs> it's so cute. It's cute. It's adorable. She's like, yeah, this us, this us, babe. This yeah. is 
us. It's, it's me. And you. It's sweet. It's sweet. And she has a plan. She's not just bringing him home to stay in her bathtub because she had to revive him. It was really a little terrifying at first because I was like, oh no, mm-hmm. he, he, down, he down bad. The flakes didn't work. <laughs> didn't work until she got some, some salt in that water. Um, but she's going to open. No, sorry. I guess in Baltimore, I've never been to Baltimore, so I don't really know like how this all, you know, shakes out. But I guess she has a plan to oh take him down to the canals when they open. I guess when it rains enough, because I feel like they open something to like let the water out or whatever. And there's like a time when this happens, I think, every year because it rains a lot. And so she's going to take him down there and release him in like, I don't know, like a week or something, whenever that happens. So there is a plan in place. She's not going to just have him in her bathtub. Um, also, he is, um, a, he has some time adjusting because he ends up eating one of Giles' cats, unfortunately, straight up. Yeah. Tore his head off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the cat wasn't really warming to him. The other ones are fine. Because uh, Giles is supposed to be watching him and Giles falls asleep. He eats the cat. And then Giles is like, ah, no, you can't eat the cats. Yeah. And it, it scares him because he's like, oh, why are you yelling? <laughs> yeah, it freaks him out. Yelling would freak you. If you had been in captivity, getting poked at and electrocuted, yelling would probably scare you just a little bit. And he like runs away. Yeah, he runs away. He doesn't get very far. He gets down to like the movie theater, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's not like yeah. a it's not like a case of like suddenly everybody seeing this <laughs> man running around town like Bigfoot or whatever. Thank goodness. Yeah, but like when Sally gets me, sorry, when Eliza gets home, mm-hmm. um, she's like, "Where is he?" Yeah. Uh, so they go looking for him, but they find him downstairs, and he's completely in awe mm-hmm. watching the movie. Yeah, I like, forgot what movie it is. Oh, this is the first time I've seen a movie. Like, oh, yeah. interesting. The power of cinema. They take him back upstairs and kind of mend things between him, Giles, and, yeah, and the cats. Giles isn't mad, surprisingly, but he did slash Giles's arm. And this is when we found out that he has healing powers because he goes and puts his hand on his arm and also puts a hand on his head. <laughs> yes. He was like, I, I see what you've been doing, player. I see what you've been doing. You don't have to do that no more. And so Giles is like, I don't know why he touched me, but like, let me go wash myself off because that's unsanitary. But later on, you see that Giles's cut has been healed completely. There's no scarring and he's got new brand, new tufts of hair coming out he on that steve carell shut the fuck that hair is holding strong too it looks good he do and that's not me being funny that's me being serious (laughs) i love how you have mentioned it before to me that's why i knew where you were going (laughs) i was like not his not his hair again oh no um i think this is the scene that you're talking about where strickland gets cussed out by eliza because she he calls them piss cleaners. And I think he calls them the help or something. I forgot. Like, why am yeah. I asking help for help <laughs> with this investigation? Yeah. He's like, they don't know. Basically, like, he calls them in. He gets really frustrated in his interrogation of yeah. everyone. This is also after he sexually harasses Liza. Um, 
Eliza yeah. at work um, by asking her to come up to his office to clean up something. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, because he, where... he knocked over like a glass on purpose. And they were like, yeah, come get the clean way. Can we get the clean ways in here? And oh, going to hell. <laughs> so he just is like abusing his power all over the place now. But now he is to the extreme. Yeah. Um, and this is where he calls um, Zelda and Eliza back into his office and basically is like, I know you guys yeah. got that man. Yeah. I know it was y'all. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I feel it in my fingers. I can't. It's y'all. Yeah. Those fingers that he can't feel himself. Oh, that. I, I know it was y'all. I know y'all got him. I know y'all got him. Yeah. But I just can't. I can't add up the evidence. I can't add it up. But I got a hunch. It's y'all. Can't do A to B. But I just know that it I just will see. Mm. Mm, yeah he's pissed mm-hmm. it's and- like um the teacher on the fairly odd parents in Tim Turner. <laughs> it's like that <laughs> what was his name i forgot but he was always like i know you're what you have to timmy turner <laughs> yeah it's, it's that dude it's just like that yeah or the guy he, he's acting like that and the guy too from the incredibles the teacher from the incredibles where he's like coincidence i think mm. not <laughs> He is acting like Denzel Crocker. <laughs> That's very specific. From the Fairly Odd Parents. That's very mm-hmm. specific. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he was a bit. Yeah, the Strickland is not like everything is falling apart really fast. And the only thing is, too, is that he does not want to stay in Baltimore. So he's just like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Everybody is ruining my life. My fingers are gone. My car is fucked up. I might have to stay here for longer than I intended to. And I don't want to do that. This place is disgusting. <laughs> I don't know where he's from, but he hates it in Baltimore. And the, I don't really know why. He just thinks it's like a terrible place. I feel like he saw it one too many black people. Uh, like, I feel like it's race related. I feel like, probably. oh, I saw too many Negroes. It's time I guess, but I was like, where do you live that? Because he lives in the suburbs and I, I don't really know. I know Baltimore has a pretty heavy black population, but maybe it was just too much for him at that time. I don't know how what it was like in 1962 or whatever, but he just seems like, he's like, I've just seen too many Negroes on my way to work. It's and plus he also wants a promotion. Like you, you know he's. Oh like, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, trying to climb that corporate ladder. Well, yeah. not corporate, but like career ladder. I guess might as well be corporate. And um, yeah, and then you, like you said, the the general or whoever is just like you fucked up. Unfuck it now. <laughs> Unfuck mm-hmm. it right. Now. I forgot what he says a whole long monologue about what it is to be a man and men. Mm-hmm. Fix you problems. embarrassing the government, boy. You gotta <laughs> fix this. Basically. And so um, while all this is happening, we find out that Eliza and Gil are getting it on. Because she's talking about it at work. Yeah. So at one point he like touches her hand and she's like, oh, wait, no, what? What's happening? And she kind of runs away. Like, I wasn't ready for all that. Not sure about that one. And then I think she comes back later because he's still in the bathtub and she closes the door and she takes her clothes off and um oh, y'all can't see me, but I'm doing like doing like a shoo shoo shoo. Is that when they oh and she fills up the she fills up the water in the Yeah. Yeah, she basically mm-hmm. turns their 
like the bathroom into a like a sea roll tank <laughs> Yeah, where they're swimming she in floods it together. The bathroom. Yeah, which is also flooding like, the cinema yeah, the, mm-hmm. and flooding her apartment. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. landlord is like, "If you don't get this girl out of here or fix this right now, <laughs> or I will have to evict mm-hmm. you or something like that." So Giles runs in and lets this wall of water out, and it's Eliza snuggling her man, looking. Oh, just, he's like, "Ooh, like, ooh, what did I just walk into? Because what did you just walk into?" <laughs> but yeah, it's Eliza and she's got her she's got her man and he's glowing. He's doing his little glowing thing. And she does explain mm-hmm. to to uh to Zelda about how it works. She did a little guest gesture. It's almost like you know, like when you say, here's the church and here's the steeple. <laughs> when yeah. you, you open the door and see all the people, it looks kind of like that. Where she yeah. does that little gesture. And she was- <laughs> Zelda's like, oh, okay. I was wondering. She's like, oh, I did not know we were doing all that. She's like, well, she, she was saying, she said, she was saying she had a glow about her. She's like, you look different. You look happy. And that's because it was sex happy. She's like, yeah, girl. She's like, oh, well, all right. You learn something new every day. <laughs> uh, and so, um, oh, I forgot that's what she said. I, I wrote down the quote. She said, never trust the man, even if he looks flat down there. And I was like, questionable. Yes. I was like, questionable, but you know, you didn't know where it was, I guess. <laughs> you weren't like, exactly sure. Ma'am, mind, that, mind your business. Yeah, Please. don't analyze this man. This man's genitalia. <laughs> mind your business, child. Yeah. <laughs> you make, you're making it weird, weird. Yeah, you're making it a little. Yeah, it's already weird. You don't need to make it weirder. It's fine. And so, um, meanwhile, Bob, Bob Hofstetter, Dimitri, his handlers come, and at this point, he had he was supposed to have killed Gil, but he didn't. And they come and ask him about the corpse and like, where is it? Did you like where did you dump it? All of that. And he says there's no profit in last week's fish. But also he's freaked out by them. And he ends up serving them cake, but he has a knife in his like sleeve or something. And I was like, oh shit, it's about to go down. Cause they have a gun with him, which I think he the they would have guns anyway. He had a gun. <laughs> but I think he was a little nervous. And they said that he's gonna be extracted back to um Russia. But I think I think it's supposed to be a day, and then it turns into two days, and that's when he gets really suspicious. Mm. Because I think it was like they let him know like last minute, and also there's someone sitting outside his house, which I felt like was yes. Strickland, but I also can't remember who that was. If it was the one of his handlers or was it Strickland? I felt like it was Strickland. I feel like if I can recall, it was two people, two different people looking at him. Maybe, yeah. Because I Strickland definitely does suspect Bob, but he doesn't know what it is exactly that it, it could be. Um, and so it starts raining a lot, so that's good. <laughs> we almost to mm-hmm. we almost to that point where we can let Gil go free, but. Um, I think this is the scene where Bob is followed to the extraction point. So he goes to the extraction point, which is like at this like dump, uh, like a garage, like a 
like a garbage dump and he has like a thing that he says and I think it's an he says like a riddle or something or some kind of thing but he also I think he speaks in Russian too so the guy gets out of the mm-hmm. car like one of his handlers gets out of the car and he says something to him and the guy ends up shooting him like a bunch of times including like yes. through the mouth and I felt so bad for him I was like I know you spy him but I feel bad for you right now and then Strickland comes up and shoots the handlers and he's like, oh, Strickland, thank you for saving me. And, and Strickland's like, you were speaking Russian. <laughs> and then drags him to and He's like, hill. he's like, oh, me? Not me. <laughs> he's like, no, I totally was not speaking Russian. I don't, yeah. I don't know where you oh, heard that know. from. But can you help me out? Because yeah. I'm a little messed up right now. Yeah, yeah. He's got holes he's through like, his cut teeth. Cut the shit. Yeah. And he ends up dragging him by the bullet hole in his mouth to like this thing and is asking him about where the creature is and all that. And, and he starts laughing. Bob starts laughing at him. And it's like, it's, oh, cause they, they think it's like special ops that have come into this facility and stolen the creature, like a team of 10 or whatever. And Bob is like, it was just two cleaning ladies. That's it. It's not even a thing. And this is when Strickland loses his mind and goes on a rampage. Yeah, like the true rampage begins. Um, we also should talk about how Eliza's sad because she has to set Gil free, but she has a like a fantasy that she's dancing. What was this a reference to? I forget where she's doing this like it's like this old fashioned like Fred Astaire esque dance number where she is dancing with with Gil and she's in this long ballroom and she or ballroom gown and she can speak she's singing and they're waltzing around and it's like it's such a she's having a moment she's having her Gene Kelly moment where she has like her I mean it wasn't like 20 minutes long but <laughs> she has her little moment <laughs> her little fantastical musical moment it, it's gorgeous it's all black and white it's- yeah and it's what's the song it's you'll never know just how much i love you she's so down bad yeah he's just kind of like i'm just enjoying these eggs i'm just enjoying these eggs (laughs) (laughs) um let me like you know vibing in a tub have no idea like i'm eating eggs vibing don't really know what's going on and she's just like distraught in her little fantasy world. Oh, yeah. I teared up a little bit. Yeah, she was, you know, <laughs> she was going through it. She loved that day. She she loved Gil. She loved Gil down. She I, did. Yeah, I can't find um, I can't find what it's like. The actual scene is a reference to, but I know the song is called You'll Never Know. It is from the 40s it was in a movie called hello frisco hello and it was sung by a woman called alice Faye. the movie is from 1943 so um we pulled out the deep references <laughs> and um she's just distraught but she's gotta let him go she gotta let him live and be free because that's the whole point of this and um strickland on his warpath pulls off his fingers Cause they're not, yeah. they're not doing anything. They're, they're a waste of time. It's over. This is when he goes to what he thinks will get him answers. 
um, when he busts up in Zelda's house. Um, first of all, let me start by saying Zelda does not live alone. Zelda is at the house with her husband. What is his name? I forget his name. Brewster. So Zelda, Brewster and Zelda are at home watching the evening programming. So I don't know. They're watching whatever is on TV in 1962. He is sitting in the chair. Zelda is like fiddling around and stuff in the background. And all of a sudden, this white man come knocking on the door. Zelda answered the door and this white man busts into their home. And Brewster doesn't do anything. No, he's just sitting in the chair. This Girl. white man is in your home talking wild to your wife about something at work. He's got Zelda like against the wall. She is hemmed up on the wall. Girl. And you just sitting there just like, wow, Men what's are not, on, babe? Are Sir, not you supposed to crack this man upside the head with yeah, some like, matray. Like, why aren't you like why aren't you making like do something? <laughs> <laughs> Make yourself useful. Y'all are in trouble. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm like, this is and I understand, I understand the cost of having a white man behave like this in your home. And yeah, it could be a very dangerous situation. Shit, you could for you 1962 and, and 2023 don't matter. <laughs> but at the same time, you don't know what this man could do. At least stand up. Yeah, he is ripping off his own fingers in, in your house. So yeah. you, we got to fight like Brewster, you need to like, like square up. Cause like, girl, it this, <sighs> he's just, he, he has Zelda like hemmed up on the wall and is being very terrifying and threatening yeah, asking questions about where, um, Eliza is, where does she have the Gill man? What 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 did y'all do? And this is when he really gets into the story about um Samson and the the Philistines and after Delilah cuts his hair off, he finds his inner strength and whatever. Is that, is that and, when he started saying that again? Girl, what in the hell? <laughs> yeah, he gets back into that. You are not. He's Samson. just being scary. And like Brewster, you just like he picked the right. Michael Shannon was the right person for this because there's, I mean. There's some people I'm afraid of, but like Michael Shannon just gives me, like you could kill me like today, like you wouldn't give a second thought about it. I feel like, and then it's already past the point where Brewster should have stood stand up, and then like when you feel like he's going to hit, like after the fingers come off, this is where Brewster stands up. It's like, hey, now don't be saying all that to my wife. And then, well, then he snitches. He says it's Eliza. Says that girl has it yeah like Bru- be worth a damn please he's terrifying bruce is not worth a damn snitches on eliza and he goes on a tear to eliza's house eliza thankfully is not there and neither is gill um but he goes and tears of eliza's house in frustration mm-hmm. and sees the date on the calendar that says like the canals are open or something like that something similar to that and he figures out that they're at the canals. And so we see Gil and Eliza standing there. And she's like, I just don't want to leave you. And <laughs> I don't think it's that bad, but she's, you know, she's sad. And he's kind of, I think Gil's kind of like, do I have to go? Or 
he don't want to really go. Yeah. She is trying to explain like what's going on. So she's like, yeah, bro, it's time to go. Yeah, bro. <laughs> you know, our time to our time together has come to an end. Yeah. I always love you. You'll and always I, have a place in my heart. Hey, I <laughs> and Gil is like, yeah, it's time to go together. Yeah, like and, we're leaving together. And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, yeah, we got our bags back together. <laughs> and she's like, no, not together. And yeah. he's like, not together. Wait. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. it's just like a thing where they're like saying a tearful goodbye. Mm-hmm. Like if this is a plain scene, it's like, okay, you know, um, Humphrey Bogart and some lady, I'll say Lauren Bacall, they were like be saying tearful <laughs> goodbyes at a plane. Yeah, was, here's you know, here's looking we'll at you. <laughs> he's looking yeah. at you, kid. Is I think that's what he says at yeah. the end of that. That's a good ass movie, by the way. Y'all need to watch that before something happens with HBO Max. <laughs> um, yeah. It'd be just like they're separating. Yeah. Great love stories ending, you know. It's mm. a little sad. It's a little sad, but luckily <laughs> Strickland comes and ruins it for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Comes in. I think he like tosses Giles to the side. Almost yeah, like, he's like Giles. Where is that? Where are they? He's like, <laughs> yes, basically. He's like, Giles is like, no, you need to mind your fucking business. And yeah, he like, tries to no, step in. No, you need to mind your fucking business. Yeah, he tries <laughs> to step in and um, it's tossed aside. That's what happens when you stand for yourself. Sometimes it doesn't work, but you know, you try again. That's what ha- That's the lesson. Mm-hmm. You guys try again, Giles. And um, he goes up to, no, I think he shoots Eliza and Gil. You think yeah. the story's over? <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah, I was like, <gasps> Yeah, but luckily for all of us, those regenerative powers are still working. And uh, Gil pushes out that bullet like it's nothing. And then I think he, does he, what does he do to Strickland? I forget. He cuts his throat with his nail. Yeah. Well, before he does that, uh, Strickland says, you are a god. And he's like, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. And he cuts his throat. Yeah. And this part, I, I, I like, like I said, this is the first time I ever watched this movie. Um, sometimes <laughs> directors be on other shit, so <laughs> I never know what to expect. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was like teary eyed. I was like, I don't know how this is going, and I was like, okay, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> um, because like Giles is like at Sally's side. Like, oh lord, Sally. Shot. <laughs> I can say it's Sally because the actress is Sally Hawkins. I'm sorry, guys. Um, but Eliza side, um, and it's like, oh no, she did. And I was like, oh, oh, oh no, she did. And Gil is like, oh no, like he it hasn't registered to him that she's gone. Yeah. Like he doesn't like is it, he doesn't he doesn't get it yet because he so, can be fixed. So why can't she be fixed? Yeah, like that's Bay. She good. So he <laughs> he scoops her up and drops her in the water. Mm-hmm. And so he oh lord, 
he's like she's sinking because she she's dying like she's dying like she's dead so she's sinking in the water and she's just floating and this this is so beautiful it kind of is a little reminiscent of the scene from um creature from the black lagoon where Mm -hmm. the woman is swimming and the creature from the black lagoon is kind of swimming beneath her but while sally while eliza is sinking uh gil (laughs) is kind of just swimming around her i think because like i feel like at any moment she'll just come back and like swim with me and we'll be together because that's what we talked about like we're together and now we're together for real and i'm like oh no she she's not waking up she's not waking up yeah and i was like heartbroken for a while and then he goes and he hugs her and he kisses her and he touches her uh neck where she has her slashes and he heals her and she comes back alive yes because those slashes are gills yes those are gills she was found by a river yes as a baby i want everybody to say that every time somebody complains about oh you want me to invest in bestiality and i was like I just, she's she's not all the way human <laughs> it's like come on why are we missing that part of the story does she need a tail for it really to be true maybe she got deactivated like what's her face like madison avenue (laughs) (laughs) miss madison avenue right sometimes you gotta activate the the fish portion your your ancestry yeah it's beautiful her shoe floating off in the in the deep the water yeah and they end up swimming i mean they don't swim off i think they just like hug in the water or something isn't that what happens and then giles has this over like i don't know like 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 not a monologue but he has like this narration over it and he's like i believe they live happily ever after because like we said this is kind of told introduced like kind of like a fairy tale and so like you know I don't think he ever sees them again but you know I believe that they had a happy happily ever after and they remain in love forever and then he has this poem which always gets me like oh god where um he says unable to perceive the shape of you I find you all around me your presence fills my eyes with your love. It humbles my heart for you are everywhere. And I was like, Bill Toro, you a real one. <laughs> love. Isn't love beautiful? Mm-hmm. I have no idea who that poem is attributed to. And I think people have tried to figure it out. I think the mm-hmm. closest they've seen is like a like a, a book of Islamic poetry, but they don't know like who exactly it is. Okay, I'm seeing this. It says that there's attribution to a Hakim Sinai. I was saying it's an ad- adapted work from him or this person. So I don't know what the exact work was that they got this from, but I was like, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. Tearing up. Isn't love beautiful? Isn't it great when somebody finds their person mm. and they can be together away from the US government? <laughs> <laughs> away from u.s government interference yeah isn't that the, that's the happily every after for everybody <laughs> okay so how do we feel i think we feel pretty good about this movie i do yes 
Um, like I was mentioning earlier, this is my first time watching it. Um, I was completely surprised by it. Um, it wasn't quite what I was expecting. And again, I really didn't know what I was expecting. I kind of was expect expecting a little bit more of the horror mm -hmm. qualities of um, Del Toro's work, because even though he tells like very intense, heartbreaking stories, they always have like a horror element to him. You can see mm -hmm. that like in Pan's Labyrinth. You can also see that in Crimson Peak a little bit, mm -hmm. even though it is gothic um, romance. And I kind of was expecting a little bit more of that here when I first watched it the first time. Um, well, attempted to watch that the first time. <laughs> this one, this go round, I fell in love with it and I appreciate it. I appreciate the timing of watching it now, especially since I've been watching a lot of movies from the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Um, and it feels like a movie of that era. It feels like it fits perfectly then, but it also tells a more modern yet timeless story. Like, it's sad that a lot of the themes here are still relevant today and that they're timeless. Like we should be able to move. We should have moved past a lot of the elements in the story. Like yeah. the way that the way that Eliza is treated, the way that Giles is treated, the way that Gil is treated the way that Zelda, Zelda is treated. Yeah. Like the way that all the marginalized people in this story are treated, we should have moved past that in society from where the story was set in the 1960s to 2023 is very disheartening and heartbreaking that we haven't moved past that. Um, but that's also why the story remains relevant and why it's easy to connect with because mm -hmm. Even though, you know, all of these people are outsiders in their own way, they were able to build a community. They were able to find love with each other and with someone who is an extreme outsider, because that's someone from way out of the what we consider the norm mm -hmm. like that's someone from way out of your community and you brought them into your life and made them part of you and Eliza was able to find love within that and I don't know this is just a beautiful story it was told beautifully all of the um visuals are beautiful as well even the dance number is gorgeous mm -hmm. and I don't I just really liked it and connected with it oh I'm glad it, it, <laughs> I don't know, like, it's very hard to make me cry. Yeah. And it made me, like, tear up. And I was just sitting on my couch going, oh! Yeah. It feels, it feels hopeful mm -hmm. in a way that I think people, like, need now. Especially now. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, oh, at least, you know, especially, like, everything feels so disconnected. Like, people feel disconnected from each other. And I don't think people are really willing to admit that and so this felt like this felt like something that that I feel like people need even though I don't know how receptive I mean I got it I was looking at the box office box office we never talked about the box office here but 
made like 195 million dollars so people did watch it but i just don't know like people are really open to receiving that just because of like how the story is told but i think people need to like i think it's really important i think people are starting to understand that people need community and and rely on other people and find people like it's not a bad thing to rely on other people or have someone special in your life that you connect to but I don't know if people are ready for that yet (laughs) the overall general general population I think especially here in America we are so individualized and I just don't know if this is I hope people can connect with us. If you do watch it after listening to this episode, please let us know um, because I think it's really a special movie. And I think people were pissed off because it went over like Get Out or whatever <laughs> and then other things. And those like, friends, open your hearts, open your minds to watch this movie. So yeah, we would recommend it. It's yeah. worth a watch. Mm-hmm. Some like you need stories like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned the Oscars. It won a lot. <laughs> it won Best Picture. It won Best Picture. It won Production Design, Original Score, Best Director. And also, um, that's four out of 13 nominations, including like acting nominations and stuff. And um, this is the second fantasy film to win Best Picture after Lord of the Rings Return of the King in 2003. Or sorry, 2004. 2004 Oscars. So once we start getting it maybe a little bit more open to like fantasy too I think (laughs) that might also help but we're still very long ways away um from that so it is just a really beautiful movie and I love how Guillermo like put his like pretty much his whole person into it I don't think you find that a lot of times I feel like people are a lot if they do feel connected like if they're like put themselves into their work like it just doesn't feel like like I know that's true doesn't always feel genuine with like him I'm like no that's <laughs> he is just like so like I don't want to say un- unapologetically but like he's just so himself in all of his work he doesn't make like apologies for it <laughs> and so I just love this and I also I don't have a like recommendation for like a pairing for this movie unfortunately unless you want to watch Amelie and something else but um that Pinocchio I don't know if I mentioned on here but I watched it uh, his version of Pinocchio is on Netflix and boy I cried <laughs> yeah I mean it got me it, it gets you but mm. I was hollering in that in my mama's living room like oh no I think partially because I was like it has been such a bad year for me in movies I was like if this is not good I'm just gonna quit and I was like it just took me there it took me where I need to go this annoying ass puppet <laughs> this oh yeah it's <laughs> Pinocchio is a bad little wooden boy. Yeah, he's but he has so much heart and so much soul, and he is so eager to say fuck fascists. Yeah, more of you should be eager to say fuck fascists. (laughs) Yes, there shouldn't be a small minority of us. There should be a lot more of us saying that. And um, you should also watch the behind the scenes stuff if if you guys are listening and haven't done that because there's a behind the scenes thing on Netflix that they detail how they did the movie and it's so cool like all the stop motion and whoo that I know that took forever I forgot how long it took to make this movie like five years or something it is fantastic I know Disney is embarrassed <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> I know we just asked for passes last episode but no y'all are embarrassed <laughs> um 
my only recommendation like would be to watch creature from the black lagoon to find like the core of the inspiration for this film like i said earlier like it's my favorite universal monsters movie um it's interesting to watch especially for how it's like some of the shots in the film also for it being in the early 50s um yeah i'm surprised this isn't like free somewhere but you can rent it it's on youtube and apple depending on time you listen to it the universal monster movies usually pop up on streaming services around halloween when people do their collections and their watches yeah tcm will probably have it too i wouldn't be surprised i think they usually do and the sequel, mm-hmm. which I forgot, is like Return. What's it called? Yeah. Return. Oh, The Creature Walks Among Us? <laughs> or Return of the Creature? One of those. I haven't seen those, but mm-hmm. the, I think the movie, like the original is perfect as it is. It's good. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. They be moving in and out. Yep. Quickly mm-hmm. tell the story and bounce. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't have to tell the story and bounce, put an intermission. That always works. Let mm-hmm. me get a snack. <laughs> Let me get a snacky snack. Um, yeah, so I I encourage everybody to watch this movie. You can watch it on Hulu. Um, tell us if you did watch this movie by uh, hitting us up on Twitter at BLK, BLK Girl Film Club. I don't know how I mess that up every single episode. You can um, email us at blackgirlfilmclub at gmail.com. Hit us up on Instagram, blackgirlfilmclub. Um, where else, where else, where else? Uh, go to our website blackgirlfilmclub.com and we will be starting a discord very soon oh shit she let it out the bag (laughs) (laughs) as our as twitter continues to do what it is currently doing we want a hub for people who are interested to kind of be able to chat about you know movies and interests um and we could do like watch alongs and things of that nature. So that's our hopes for Discord. So we will be getting that together very soon. Yeah. Tell us what you want to see on this Discord because I haven't used it. Brittany's the only person who really knows what's really popping with Discord. <laughs> and, I yeah. want to see like some movie chats. Like if you guys have recommendations for episodes or like movies that you're currently watching, if you're reading certain things. If it's related to film, if it's not related to film, like I am into TV, like I just binged Monk. Monk is my boy. If you watch a Monk, <laughs> let me know. Oh my like, god, Monk. I just want, <laughs> I just want to build a community. Um, that's my goal. Like I love our listeners. Like you guys have been around for a while, and I just want us to interact more. And that's what I intend to do with the Discord. That's what we want. Yeah. Yeah, let us know um, by any of those channels, like what you want to see and what can we do and what would be fun and what what movies you might want to watch along with us and that kind of thing. And and we'll try to make it happen. I don't think I have anything else. Oh, yes, I do. I'm sorry. Um, I'm about to get on my soapbox. We've been talking for a while, but I'm about to do it. Shout out to the Writers Guild of America for striking. I fully Mm -hmm. support what you're doing. I hope the Directors Guild and SAG-AFTRA also um, step up because it's looking real fucking shaky and scary out there. They're talking about using um, uh, actors' likenesses in perpetuity for anything that they decide to do. That's a Netflix contract. (laughs) Yeah, no. What are we doing? What are we doing? I feel <laughs> like as a, like a person who works in like the creative industry, like it is so crazy out here how our work 
like every creative person's work is like demeaned and you can tell it's from a resentment that not only can I do what you can't do, but you got to pay for it. And you don't think that that is fair. And I find that to be hilariously awful. And I don't know where the future hold, like where we're going with creative output, especially when everybody wants everything to be for fucking free. <laughs> and it t- like writing is hard. I am not a writer. Writer is hard. Writing is hard. Directing is hard. Producing is hard. Um, just being a creative person in general, it is not an easy task and you do not get paid enough for it. And it is just kind of really not eye-opening, but it's like just reaffirming what I believed a lot, which is like people do not take creative people seriously, even though like there's so much money in movies and entertainment. People are announcing every day that they've got some crazy fucking like record profits or whatever, but you know, you got writers run, winning Emmys and having to go clock in at Madewell. Like, what are you talking about? And that's supposed to be fine. That's supposed to be sustainable. I hope this whole thing comes crashing down. I'm not even kidding you. <laughs> so shout out to the strikers. If you see them out there, give them a honk, give them some water. Support them. Yeah, support like, them. Like, without, like, we, Ashley and I, we're on a movie podcast. Without writers, we would not be talking about the films that we love and adore so much. Yeah. Like, they produce these scripts that we pour over and we love that we talk about at length. Yeah. <laughs> like, Extensively. we're talking about... <laughs> We're talking about their words. We're talking about their work. We're talking about their livelihoods and they should be paid equity for it. Yeah. Like writing is hard. Like you got to think of words. You got to put those words on the paper and you have to tweak and edit and fix things in the moment as you go along. And it's not easy. And these people have to be paid to eat. Like it's the like, idea that people should be fa- paid fairly enough that they can actually live off of what they make seems to be such a revolutionary concept. And I just don't know how we keep spinning around this wheel for the last, like, I don't know, like 200 years. <laughs> it's just like, can you imagine that people need to be paid for their work? That's crazy. This is like, what are you even talking? So you get the $200 million salary and I got to sit here and eat shit, but they're making you money. And then just because you can just go plug in something to some fucking generator or whatever does not make you an artist. I don't give a fuck what you say. There's no creative thought into any of that. I don't care. And if you really cared, you would actually figure out how to make it do it. Do something amazing instead of just just plugging it in and being like, oh, I'm an artist too. Because that's how it gets devalued and that's how it gets demeaned. Because you think you can just come up with something instantly. And it's not that. And that's why you keep making the same old bullshit every fucking day. (laughs) We're on like our fifth round of some of this IP, girl. We are tired. We need we need new people. We need people to go to work happy and healthy and to feel valued so they could create new things. Yes, people want to work, okay? Like people want to make things. They don't want to work in like the environment of like here, put your nose to your desk and don't get, don't lift your head up until like, I don't know, nine hours later or whatever. Like treat people like they mean a damn. Okay. That's all you got to do. That's all I need you to do. Shout out to the strikers. If you have a problem that you couldn't watch Saturday Night Live because somebody was supposed to be on there and there's nobody to write the fucking episode. Let me just tell you, you're a bitch. <laughs> Hire a reporter. You're a bitch. 
<laughs> Hollywood reporters are writing the most sus headlines I've ever seen. I've always had something about them I did not like, and now I know. I had them blocked and muted, and then I was trying to figure out why, and now I remember. <laughs> oh, this would have happened if the writers weren't on strike. No, the writers wouldn't be on strike if you would pay them the way they should be paid. God, know whoever's chairing out these headlines at the Hollywood Reporter probably isn't getting paid the way they should be either. Just remember, guys, like, everybody has the power and the ability to make every aspect of our life better. Mm-hmm. And not only better for ourselves, but better for our friends and family and strangers. And we should do anything and everything in our ability to do so. And that it's on us, like for real. Even if you don't want to be altruistic, like you could just say, hey, if we pay these people correctly, they'll write some great work and then we can get some Emmys and then make a lot of money. But you don't even think that far. Payment? I gotta pay people? For art? And if you scab, you ain't shit either. They won't let you in. I'm gonna tell you that too. Yeah, so yeah, just look in that. Don't do it. Don't do it. We stand with you guys. And if anybody has some sense, please don't sell your likeness to fucking Netflix or whoever. (laughs) Please have the good sense to not do that. That's all I want to say. We've been talking forever. We're going to go now. So thank you guys for listening. And our next episode will be a rough cut on a special presentation. Oh yeah, we have a couple. We have a couple <laughs> in the chamber. We have a few. We have a few ideas coming up. So we just need to figure out when we're going to where we're going to do them. <laughs> but look for those soon. We'll have more stuff sooner than later. Bye guys. Bye.